Hey, who made you a disc jockey? Welcome from all of us to all of you. If you want to know how glad we are to have you with us, just you listen. Hi, and welcome to the Crisis on Infinite Midlives podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. This is episode 124. We've got the numbering back on track. Yes. Finally. We can count. I was so goddamn wiped out last <laughs> week. I have no idea what happened. Not that I'm any more awake this week because we are back from our first convention in a year. I know. It's over a year. I feel like I'm was, out of practice. We are out of practice. <laughs> Jesus. It, it almost fucking killed me. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's a, our last convention was Boston Comic Con last year, and that was like the very end of July, beginning of August. This is the longest we have not gone to a convention in quite some time. Yeah. I don't want to do that anymore. No. I want to plan more cons for next year. Yes. So... <laughs> Resolved. Yeah, even though everything in my body is shattered and broken like it's made <laughs> out of fucking old carnival glass. Yeah, I, I slept for two hours today. <laughs> yeah, I'm just not used to doing it. This weekend was uh, Boston Comic Con, yeah, our home convention that we've been going to on and off for about eight or seven or eight years. Yeah. Uh, this is our fourth year in a row, and we tried like, we're going to go to every single day, and th- this morning we woke up, it's like, I don't think I can do it. We've done everything that we, we need to do for this. Well, it's, it's I, the, I think we need to recover. Yeah, I mean, it's the, the ups and downs of a somewhat more intimate convention. Yes, 45,000 people de- uh, descended upon the Seaport World Convention Center. However, yes. <laughs> the way that they structured the convention, they put m- the majority of the comics-heavy panels on Friday, and yeah. then... On Saturday, there were some interesting kind of comedic p- panels, but not really comics panels. There's some cosplay things going on. Yeah, there's some cosplay things. There was like a it was a spotlight on Scott Snyder. I thought that was today, actually. It might have. No, I think it was yesterday. Was I yesterday? think today was Mark Wolfman. Wolfman. Okay. But the yeah. comics news panels were all on Friday. Right. Yeah, starting off with the Frank Miller panel, which, yes, we were able to get into. <laughs> yes, we have audio of the whole thing. That's going to be next week's show because uh, we wound up getting a, a huge amount of audio out of the DC Entertainment panel, the DC Universe panel. <laughs> Amanda's being attacked by by our mascot, Parker. One time, he's asleep, <laughs> and we decide, oh, we could do the show with him just sitting here, and uh, he immediately comes over, and he's like, Mom, Mom, Mom. <laughs> now, only he does it with claws, yeah. which is nice. <laughs> He's not doing it to me, so as far as I'm concerned, it's nice. It's all fun and games until it's 5.30 in the morning, and all of a sudden, it's the the gentle rake of claws against the back of your head. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, that was me. Uh, I was pretty drunk. I didn't know what I was doing. Trim that shit. (laughs) No. How else am I going to get cocaine into my head? So, (laughs) okay, Ming. (laughs) (laughs) Anywho. The, uh... The oh yeah no it's we've got the Frank Miller audio we're gonna do that for next week's show just because there was a lot more of it uh, we did the DC Entertainment panel and we have audio of that for this week yeah well what I was gonna say though is uh, you know our general strategy for getting through a full convention and and going every day is is to do some time on the floor and then to do some other time in panels to recover from being on the floor. <laughs> yeah, that's the only way you can survive. To Well, a couple days you can survive, but three, four days for some yeah. of these longer ones, it has to be done. So once we realized yesterday that there weren't really going to be panels that we could retreat into that we 
cared about. <laughs> yeah, well, even the, I don't think there were any that we could have retreated to because we tried to. Yeah. We, we got there. Uh, we had VIP passes, which let us in half an hour early. And whatever your local convention is, if you can get VIP passes, yes, they're more expensive and they give you a lot of stupid shit you don't want. Like we turned down the poster. Yeah. It's a, okay. That it was of a classic Frank Miller Daredevil cover. Uh, I know that cover. Because <laughs> you have the book. Yeah. It's, I'm pretty, yeah, I can go get it out of my uh, omnibus volume <laughs> of Frank Miller's Daredevil. Uh, I'm just going to destroy it trying to carry it around. Yeah. yeah. That kind of dumb shit, you know, ooh, a lanyard. Well, you still need a stupid bar wristband. To keep on your wrist for three days to be able to get in every day, the lanyard is just to show, ooh, I'm a VIP. Yeah. No, you don't need that stuff. But at least at Boston Comic Con, what it gives you is the ability to get in half an hour before anybody else. Right. And that is so goddamn crucial. If you can swing it, it's not so much a problem at San Diego Comic Con because they sort of have their shit together, and yeah, so you have to do it once, and then it's out of the way. And even though even then, the lot they've got dozens and dozens of people handling at, at these little conventions. No, the line on Saturday went all the way around the building. There was another one that went halfway down. I swear to God, to Boston Harbor. Yeah, down Seaport Boulevard. But if you pay the extra fifty bucks a ticket. You get a special line and you go right in. And the other key to getting into these conventions early is if you make your plans right, you shoot in before the crowds and go see the artists or writers or whatever that, whatever the thing that you want to get out of that convention, you're first in line. Right. You know, Amanda and I both got commissions that were, yours was particularly complicated and mine was a fairly high tone <laughs> creator that I'm sure filled up as commission list very quickly yeah i felt like this year we got a lot of uh, not that the art that we've gotten in previous years hasn't felt personal but this year i i wanted um sarah richard who works on my little pony and gem and a variety of other properties um to do a portrait of our you know, home office mascot parker the cat yeah <laughs> <laughs> and uh we asked for a particular background that involved uh the doctor's scarf and a, and a hand coming down to scratch him on the head it's a glorious piece but it's very personal now because it's it's parker <laughs> yeah and um and yours is it's, I've been trying to get this for years back to, uh, San Diego Comic Con 2014. You know, I'm, I'm really a fan of Francesco Francavilla's pulp style art and I'm a fan of the Rocketeer. And that's just a, to me, that was a gimme match. And I could never quite, <laughs> the fucking cat keeps jumping up on Amanda's lap. <laughs> this, uh, we, we may have a, a loud pause for edit and then come back much more subdued and, uh, jumping, not jumping at everything that moves. <laughs> Please don't die. And return from edit. Parker the cat has been safely ensconced away from the studio. You may hear yowling quietly over the microphone. <laughs> he's he's a very eager and social young cat. Yes. And that does not always work well when you're trying to do radio. <laughs> yes. So, but but this is radio and uh do you remember what we were talking about before he went for your fucking eyes? <laughs> <laughs> my eyes, my beautiful eyes. Uh, we were talking about your Frank Avila. Oh yeah, it's a to me that was a, a gimme matchup, and he was at 
San Diego Comic-Con in 2014, and I was just never able to connect with him. Either somebody else got his table or his table got moved or something. There something was, weird happened. I, I, w- I wasn't able to find him the entire weekend. So for years, I've been stewing on this, and he was one of the early guests announced for this year. And so that was my, okay, when we walk in the goddamn door, originally the plan was you and I are going to split up. You go see Sarah Richard. I'll go see Frank Avila. And the the downside to the VIP tickets is particularly some of the higher tone guests. They don't give a fuck if you're a VIP or not. A lot of people were still setting up. Right. So we went to his table. He's still setting up. It's like, I'm not going to bother him. So we it worked out. We got the yeah. Sarah Richard, got that commission in. And then, yeah, I was second on the commission list. The guy was absolutely a pleasure to meet he was friendly and oh he's fantastic yeah it's a you know we'll have a conversation with you and we'll talk about what the commission is and clearly he's a fan of rocketeer because as soon as i said i want a full figure rocketeer he lit up and said i'm a big fan of the rocketeer that means a lot to me so yeah and he put together a beautiful ink wash piece that it's glorious and (laughs) it's it's exactly what i've wanted for years and you're able to do that if you say up front six months ahead of time, uh, you know what? I think an extra 50 bucks so I don't have to swelter in line melting like a moron. <laughs> Not get... everybody had that option, though. <laughs> That's true. It's These things are expensive. You know, we're we're a small enough operation that even at Boston Comic Con, they laugh at us for press credentials. <laughs> I've asked in the past. It hasn't worked out. So They laugh somehow dropping their R's. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it's. I think it was 175 a ticket. For the three days, which yeah. is about 50 or $60 more expensive. But it also, purely by coincidence, turned out that this was the hottest weekend in Boston oh in goodness. the last year, year and a half. And and the local news stations, because there is a lack of snow about which they can report some sort of impending apocalypse, yeah. have now taken to, instead of just telling you the temperature, here's the feels-like temperature. So if you're not paying attention, all of a sudden you look up, 103! Oh, that's the feels-like temperature. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's the real feel temperature, yeah. <laughs> you know, because that sounds like a scientific fucking, yeah. <laughs> fucking measure. Just, I know you can't say it's fucking hot. <laughs> you can say it's hot. You can put some sort of, you know, kind of like melty emoticon on your friggin' map. Yeah, real feel <laughs> isn't a thing. It's <laughs> it's not like over in Oslo they're saying, we found the Higgs boson, really? Well, how does it look on the real feel? Well, funny story. It's not a real thing. The, the, the real feel also not an alternate, you know, term for feeling your breasts up for cancer. Uh, yeah. like, <laughs> Here's the real feel. My balls are stuck to my left leg. It feels like shit. That's how it feels. <laughs> It was, let me put it this way, it was hot enough that there were a couple of unfortunate souls that were doing costumes that involved onesie leotards where there was noticeable swamp ass. And <laughs> I did not notice. I didn't mean to notice. See, I, I don't notice these things because I'm with you, and if I'm staring at the cosplay too long, I get a clock to the side of the head, as I would deserve. So I did not notice the swamp ass. <laughs> I'm just saying that there I'm there was a Harley. It was I it was sad. You're really gonna have to be more specific. You couldn't swing a dead cat without hitting a daddy's little monster <laughs> well, shirt. Th- this was one that was actually should have been celebrated because she was in a classic Harlequin uh leotard. Classic ha- Harley Quinn did not have swamp ass. <laughs> I've well, seen classic, all them episodes. Except for the swamp ass. <laughs> <laughs> I saw Hot Topic must be selling because I saw what looked like movie prop, Daddy's Little Monster shirts and, and the, the Joker, Joker, property of the Joker jackets. Yeah. 
I mean, uh, pudding style. Yeah, pudding style is the most disgusting term. I don't, I don't want to know. <laughs> I thought that was bukkake. What, what the hell are we talking about? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that um, it would have made as much sense if they'd put bukkake style on the back of the jacket. It would have made sense to me. <laughs> Swamp ass is the least of your problems. <laughs> But I don't know. I don't get to. I got Amazon Prime. I'm a grown up. I don't have to go to the mall anymore. <laughs> yeah, I, I do think that a good third of the cosplay at this convention was brought to us courtesy of Hot Topic. Yeah, it was. Uh, and a lot of conventions are like the Harley's been popular for years. Yeah. The Joker is certainly popular because really all you need is some, you know, green, white face paint, white face paint, and yeah, green hair coloring. Yep. And yeah, this year they were probably for the first time. Uh, an even mix between, say, other Joker and Heath Ledger Joker. Yeah. He, he, people have really enjoyed the Heath Ledger Joker because you can really sort of... <laughs> you can go messy. Yeah. It's, it's a good, like, tumbled out of bed and decided to throw this cosplay on. Yeah, you, you put it on <laughs> in your car with, like, your rearview mirror. Yeah. It's, you, you can just sort of <laughs> get the sense of it and it's good enough. Yeah. I mean, I, I went on Saturday as a mildly gender-swapped Ryan Randall because I had a, a Ranger Danger <laughs> shirt on and a flannel... And a flannel. <laughs> yeah, I still say you have the clerks, the clerks too. I do have movie the movie shirt. shirt, but I just like, nah. <laughs> you should have done it. And if you don't, maybe I'll order everything to do it just because I, I want to feel what it's like to be stopped every six feet to fuck the flow of traffic for everybody. <laughs> I'd like to thank the fine group of people that decided that they needed to take their cosplay picture at the bottom, directly the bottom of the escalator. Oh my God. It's. <laughs> Yeah, somebody will have to cosplay as a was it Brody from Mallrats. Yeah. <laughs> people collapse down the escalator dead. <laughs> yeah, I look back to the the first Boston Comic Con we went to. I think it was two thousand nine. There were like two or three Hardy Souls who would do like you know oh Wolverine from like the X Men Origins Wolverine. It's a leather jacket and they have the claws. Yeah, and he hasn't shaved for two days. Yep. Now, <laughs> And now it's yeah they've really a lot more cosplay. Saw a great Iron Man with like full uh full armor. Yeah, uh, a lot of people doing creative stuff. Like clearly the Republican Trump voter Bane <laughs> in a sweater vest. <laughs> a couple of these pictures we got on our Facebook page, and I'll put some more up uh, in the the coming days. We're we still kind of recovering at yeah. this point. The one the one picture I regret we didn't get was uh, we saw from a distance Santa Bane. <laughs> oh yeah, that was pretty great. Yeah, or Bane claws. Either yeah. way. And uh, there was also, you missed it, uh, there was a killing joke joker that was at, uh, trolling for, for graphic novels at one of the tables. Oh, with like the Hawaiian shirt yeah. and the hat. and That's cool. <laughs> yeah, see, other jokers. Yeah. It's, it's good to see those now and again. <laughs> uh, yeah, I saw one power girl who clearly wanted to defy gravity, but it wasn't working out. She, she floats. Down here we all float? Is that what you're shooting for? <laughs> no, I'm just saying that if she can't fly, she certainly floats. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there were, oh, yeah, there were, there were balloons. Yeah. <laughs> all I could, I, My again, back I, hurt for her. Yeah, I couldn't directly look at her because you hit me in the head, but all I could think, yeah, that must hurt. That's That, that was too much. But I appreciate the enthusiasm, ma'am, if you're out there. Yeah. Um, the... I saw a gender swapped Constantine. Uh, Constantine was like huge the year that he had his TV show and then has faded off again. Well, that's how it always yeah. goes. You know, 2009, 2010 in San Diego, there were silk specters and comedians and Rorschachs everywhere. And they... A lot of Rorschach this year, actually. Because Rorschach's another one that's not hard to do. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's easy to, to do poorly. I did see one guy wandering around dressed up as the question and he put a mirror over his face. That was kind of cool. That's not bad. I didn't see that one. Yeah, he was he was all right. Saw at least one person who was a player character from The Sims 
So they were wandering around with the green diamond over their head. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've seen that one before. Yeah. That's, that's one that's not too hard to do. But it's always kind of neat to see that. Yeah. But it's uh, clearly people have, have gotten into it. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's... And it's weird. The more conventions you go to, it's like the first couple we went to, it's like stop everywhere and take pictures of every cosplayer. And now, you, number one, you can't. Because no. it's become so much more popular just in the last 10 years. But it's also, you, I don't want to say you, you become blind to it, but you become so used to it. It's like, <laughs> I'd love to stop and take your picture, but I don't want to be part of the problem. And if I don't get to a panel to sit down, somebody's going to die. <laughs> right. You're going to be cosplaying dead Robin, motherfucker. I'll kill you with a crowbar. Yeah, there, there's a good picture you did get, though, of uh, somebody trying to kill, J- it was Jason Todd trying to kill um, a Robin or something. Oh, yeah. It's it, yeah. There was there was a lot of good cosplay that was that was going on this year. Yeah. But again, that's that's not the primary reason that that we go. It's always a nice bonus. It is. But, it is. So yeah, it was just it was a weird structure this year in that yeah, all the comics news panels were really on Friday. You know, starting with Frank Miller. Really, you could if they didn't clear the room after every panel, you could have sat in the Harborview Ballroom, which is I hesitate to call it. Boston Comic Con's Hall H, yeah, because it, it's really more of a room, uh, <laughs> room CDF or yeah, something. Yeah, but, <laughs> but it, it's the big room, and yeah, in rapid succession, it was uh, Marvel Universe, uh, DC. No, Make My Marvel, DC Universe, Image Comics, Spotlight on Greg Capullo and yep. Scott Snyder. There was one other well, afterwards. Oh, the uh, the Darwin Cook, right, right, uh, Remembrance panel. But the yeah, part of the problem is they clear the room, and we've complained about this every year. They've gotten a lot better about it. It's a lot smoother process than it was just a couple of years ago. A couple of years ago, it was, okay, we're clearing the room, and yet the line was this twisted, mutated, you know, like a like a cat's tail if the cat's been run over a couple times by and a truck. And that's if you're lucky. There was one that we we got cleared out of the room only to just sort of walk into a, it was like a walker herd. <laughs> just this wall of humanity yeah. with no rhyme or reason. Yeah, and it's Boston Comic-Con's gotten a lot better about that, but it's still they clear the room in between each. Yeah. And on Friday, it probably... See, Friday was the least crowded day for obvious reasons. You could probably, arguably, have turned around and gotten in the back of the line and still gotten a seat for most of them. Yeah. But it just it, it gets tricky and difficult. So, yeah, we had to sort of pick and choose. You know, which panels we went to, but then, yeah, for, for actual comics news, there really wasn't anything Saturday or Sunday. No, and even with the, the day where it was supposed to be comics news, we went to the DC panel, and it was a great panel, but no news. It was it was more just get to know these creators, which yeah, is there, great, but no there were a couple. Yeah, there were a couple <laughs> of tidbits here and there. That's part of the problem with, even though it's up to, yeah, about 45,000 people, Boston is still a mid-sized regional convention. Yeah. And it is almost dead in between San Diego Comic-Con and New York Comic-Con. So all the big news, that's where that comes out. So there's not going to, you know, nobody's... Well, and to do even like said at the beginning of the panel, like, look, we're just going to have this as a get to know the people on the panel. We have some great folks here. Um, Anything new is coming out in uh, the comics previews. You can read about it on the internet. Yeah. (laughs) So thanks, Dan. Yeah. I mean, which is fine. And it's, you know, cool to hear the, the creators speak, but... So it's arguably a little more cool to be able to see, okay, here's new covers and here's, right. you know, new creative teams and stuff like that, which you really get at bigger conventions. Yeah. You could argue Boston's getting there, but. Well, there's a rumor that's on Bleeding Cool that 
Boston Comic Con has become so successful that it was sold to the people who do MegaCon in Orlando. Yeah, um, and until you said MegaCon, I remembered the name of the Fan Expo. I think okay. is the is the name of the company that does it. They do a few conventions around the the country, and that um, p- potentially next year the tables for vendors and creators are going to be pricier than they are this year. Yeah, but again, it's it's all a rumor. Believe me, up until we started taping the show, I was Googling for Boston Comic-Con news, and, and that was the only thing there. But supposedly, yeah, people were going table to table to let them know they were going to be talking to new people next year. See, I don't know. I've never been to a, a fan expo convention. Mm. They might be delightful. They might be extremely well run. They may have absolute great and perfect guests. But, you know, as as a local who's been... Supporting this one. (laughs) Yeah, supporting this one and at least watching it for, you know, 10 years, I think it's been going on to see it go from, yeah, the function room in a hotel to they got Frank Miller. Yeah. I mean, Jesus Christ. I don't think Frank Miller leaves the house unless there's an air raid siren. I think they miracled him there with the jaws of life. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, for for it to become that big that quickly and then have it hand off, you know, from being run by people who clearly love comics because it's it's all over their website and it's true. It really is still a convention that's focused on the comics. It, it sounds weird saying, well, all the comic panels were on Friday. It may have just worked out that way. Yeah. Uh, and well, s- they, they, they had some panels that were ticketed panels for the other pop culture things and i think those were over saturday sunday like jillian anderson i think john barrowman again oh yeah the dcw people yeah um william shatner for all 20 minutes or so that he did his panel now (laughs) that's go ahead and tell that story and and i'll say why based on looking at twitter feeds and everything i don't think it's correct um one typically does not get one's news scoops from the bathroom but uh, I went into... <laughs> I do. I, in high school, that's how I totally knew who <laughs> fucked. <laughs> so I, I went in to avail myself of the facilities on Saturday morning, and there was a, a loud exaltation from one of the other convention rooms nearby. And I said, oh, that must be Shatner's panel because it was early enough in the day. And a woman at the sink said, no, he he did his much earlier. And he, uh, my friend was there and said he was only on stage for 10 minutes and seemed baffled that he actually had a panel to go to in the first place, thought he was there to get some sort of award from the mayor and then leave. <laughs> <laughs> I said, okay, well, based on what I've read on the internet, which only ever tells the truth, sure, um, this sounds exactly like something William, William Shatner might do at a panel. <laughs> and if that had been the case, I would have cursed God that we didn't try to get tickets to that one because that would have been <laughs> glorious audio that I would have been gleeful to bring to the world. However, looking at various news reports and Twitter feeds, I think it's more the mayor was about 20 minutes late <laughs> and Shatner was expecting this is how we're going to start and then with nobody there to really moderate, he just sat there and basically riffed with the crowd to fill time for 20 <laughs> minutes. Ah. Just sort of unprompted, almost stand-up comedy, just telling jokes and talking Good with people. Him. Which, yeah, as somebody who grew up with Star Trek, yeah, I know what everybody says about Shatner. I'd rather believe that's the guy. Yeah. I don't really believe that's the guy. <laughs> I believe he was pushed into a room with nobody there to help him, and he did what he had to do. And <laughs> as a former low-level club comic, I understand, and I respect that. I've been there. It's hell on earth. 
<laughs> at least, at what least... do you mean go on stage? <laughs> There's two people in the audience. Yeah, and they don't know my name. At least people know the chat. They know who he is. <laughs> so he had he had odds in his favor. But so yeah, it was one of those. We're walking around the convention, going, "Shit, why didn't we get the tickets?" And no, uh, I did some research. I don't think that's really the case. Again, one does not typically get one's news scoops from the bathroom. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> I mean, I was I was entertained by her and the, the other nice woman that was at the sink that had been bawling her eyes out and was telling a story about how she just lost her shit after meeting uh, Karen Gillan, and, <laughs> and now she had to reapply all of her makeup. And it was, she she didn't seem to care. She wasn't really reading the room and and deciding that oh people want to hear this story. No, just just howling, <laughs> yeah, just... At, howling at the void. This is the best thing that's ever happened. Uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> I'm just not now, sure. I'm just now understanding why we never get press credentials. <laughs> My sources are fucking impeccable. Your, your resume should have the Hulk theme behind it. <laughs> I, I'm I'm Amanda, and I'm with Crisis on Infinite Midlives, and I get my news in the ladies' room. <laughs> the second floor of the convention center where the lines are shorter. <laughs> Damn, I've told everybody. <laughs> Shit. It doesn't matter. It may move next year anyway yeah. if the rumors are true. It's it's really almost outgrown even the Seaport World Trade Center, yeah. which is a reasonably large facility. It is. But yeah, Saturday, it was packed to the gills to the point where on the floor, the air conditioning in no way could keep up. Oh, no, no. <laughs> it's It had its own weather system. It's, you know, water was sort of dripping from yeah. the ceiling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you try to ignore what percentage of that is is human emission just evaporating. Just don't think about it. Just keep moving. <laughs> Everything was hazy and yeah. Yeah. Almost had a cloud system going on. So it, it it might be time to move up to a larger facility. There's one or two in Boston, I think. There are. Um, I don't know them off the top of my head. The Heinz, I think, off the top of my head. I think the Heinz was smaller. Cause it, was it smaller? Because it moved from the Heinz the, the year of the Boston Marathon okay. bombing. Uh, when they had to move it from April to August. What's the one over by uh, the JFK stop? Um, I think that, that's that the Heinz. Big. No. That's the Heinz. Well, what's the one then on Copley? Uh, I don't know. What am I, a botanist? <laughs> <laughs> Those are the only two I know, and clearly I don't know their names. So. Uh, yeah, well, we don't pay any attention to these unless there's a convention to go yeah. to. Yeah. Clearly, we look like native Bostonians. What's the thing over by Copley? And again, this is why I am a crack fucking reporter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got our listeners in the UK going, "Oh God, what the fuck's a Copley, and why do I care?" <laughs> All right. So, any other general observations about the convention before we? Yeah, it's it's going to be a loose show again. Folks. I, I would say actually, they they are doing an excellent job. Um, as long as they're going to stay there, I don't know how long they're going to stay there now, uh, beginning to corral the lines around creators' tables and utilizing the space in such a way that it felt like even on the heavier traffic days, you could still more or less easily get around the floor. There were some aisles that were clearly slower than others, but they moved all of the food upstairs to the third floor and also out into the open air. Yeah. So it, that opened up that section. Yeah, that for, opened up a whole wall that previously was just, yeah, a, a just nonstop and, line of people praying for a Diet Coke so they didn't die of dehydration. Right. So that, that gave us a, a more extra space to work with. And also, they were just generally better about getting folks who were waiting, like when we were waiting for Franca Villa, creating a line that didn't interfere with traffic flow. 
Yeah. And yeah. also um, the the inevitable apocalypse of people waiting to see Amanda Connor and Jimmy Palmiotti. They had a nicely <laughs> designed line that moved fairly quickly and efficiently from what I hear. We have seen them on half a dozen panels over the years, and they're always funny and friendly. And I would love to meet them for, yeah, 20 or 30 seconds <laughs> or however long to get a book signed. It's uh, one of our, our buddies from the, the local comic store, Joe. Uh, met him and said they were absolutely friendly and it was a great experience. It's just, yeah, the line to meet them. And every year we make the same fucking mistake because the, they <laughs> have the line set up about 10 feet back from the table. Right. So you approach the table from the left. It's like, oh, there's not a line. We'll just go in there. And then, but no, there's always a staff person. It's like, no, no, the line starts back there. Yes. And then and you it, look back and like, mm, yeah, and revere. Then, hmm, nah. <laughs> I, I believe I will meet these fine people next year. <laughs> Perhaps next year. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I sort of reached a point on Saturday where I was going to go up to Katie Cook's table, who is also always very popular, and get something signed. And there was just enough people where I was like, you know, nah. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah the same thing. There were a, a variety of places where the line just sort of went, eh. Now, it took three or four tries before you're able to get uh, to Raphael Albuquerque's Yeah, table. and I, I, I at some point will try to actually like, you know, speak to him and say hi i'm terribly shy i don't know if that comes through on this podcast i'm dreadfully <laughs> painfully shy <laughs> often i require a lot of encouragement to go up and talk to people so <laughs> in this particular case I, I got as far as he finally had stuff out because you see when, when a creator doesn't have anything out on their table then i have no prop with which to begin to get comfortable at the table and then potentially eventually make small talk and maybe buy something and in this particular case once once things were out and i was able to look through it i received sticker shock because there were things that i nothing there i could afford (laughs) (laughs) nothing there i could afford and i i just i'm i'm not good at talking to people (laughs) well you you picked the you picked the right hobby (laughs) Oh shit! I doubled that. Fuck. <laughs> no, I mean, I could have. He was talking to somebody else anyway, and I'm just like, ah, do I do I say, you know, could I'd like to buy this graphic novel you have here? And and I just I suck at that shit. I suck at it. It's it's tricky because you know, even though yeah, we do this podcast about comics and we've interviewed some people on the show. It's uh, these are still people that we respect and. You don't know them as human beings yet necessarily, but yeah, I've sort of learned over the years, you, you just sort of go up. They're there to meet people. Yeah. Now, if you're not a cock about things, generally they won't be. Not always the case. Certain creators I've dealt with who I won't mention who <laughs> they've gotten my last fucking dollar. But Nobody at this convention, though. Everybody at this convention was fucking lovely. Exactly. <laughs> Everybody was great at this one. Every single one that we, we talked to. And yeah, we didn't uh, talk to Albuquerque. But yeah, it was one of those. It's the, the trick is go up with an agenda. I'd like to at least look at the art, you know, which you did. But there mm-hmm. were also a couple other people there. But that's also, I think, why it's it's important, in my opinion, to to try to see these folks early. Because I also, after a certain point, start to to battle sort of fatigue hysteria so yeah. so oh. my shit's just not together after about three hours on the floor i i don't have it <laughs> yeah it, it does not take long if all you're doing is the floor you're gonna die yeah period uh, yeah. granted we are we are middle-aged if i was 22 would i be saying that uh, uh probably probably not but <laughs> but yeah once you get above i mean we did our first big convention in our mid-30s 
and we almost killed ourselves because we did mostly the floor. We didn't know the tricks of you go to the panels. Right. The minute you get hungry, get the fuck out of the convention center. Don't eat at the convention center. There's no place to sit. Well, and also with the, with the even with the panels, if there's panels you want to go to, plan for going to the panels. Don't show up at 5 o'clock for the 5 o'clock panel. Show up at 4.15, yeah. depending on who, who it is you're trying to see. Yeah, but even that can be a, a kick in the glutes, basically, because yeah. now you're standing for 45 minutes to get the 45 minutes sitting down on the panel that you want to see. Right. You know, and you don't necessarily get that at something like San Diego where they don't clear the rooms, because you can say, I really want to see this panel at 3, and I've done everything I want to do on the floor today, so I'm going to go at one yeah <laughs> and sit through a couple panels and which is actually ironically how we discovered scott snyder and Raphael albuquerque yeah we in wanted, san diego yeah we wanted to see one of the one of the dc panels yeah and it was just we're exhausted they were doing american vampire yeah and it's i'd tried american vampire i'd tried the first couple issues based on the strength of stephen king's name and the stephen king stories didn't do a hell of a lot for me so i, I stopped reading it and so it's just fine. We'll sit through this guy. Neither one of us particularly liked the book, but he was just so goddamn enthusiastic about it and talking it up and talking about the things he had planned. You in particular really got into it. Afterwards. Yeah, yeah. I have the trades now. So. Yeah. so, I mean, sometimes going into some of these panels that you, you're not familiar with is the best thing that you can do. Yeah. It's also how we found person of interest. <laughs> so, yeah. But yeah. it's also how we found, you know, Ray Park saying he just wanted people to see what he could do and Ray Bradbury screaming for people to get off his fucking lawn. Not all of them are gems. True. <laughs> <laughs> but all of them have seating and sometimes that's all the gems. The original you need. heroes pilot. <laughs> well, no, we wanted to go we, we wanted to go to that. Yeah, that was that was sort of on our list. Yeah. So yeah, any other general observations or do we want to talk about the uh the DC Universe panel? I think we can start getting into panels. Okay. Yeah, I mean the the first thing for the DC Universe and again, stick around for next week. We have all kinds of audio from Frank Miller. Oh, and it's <laughs> glorious. Yeah, well, <laughs> some of it more glorious than uh, it's, you know, I, I don't want to talk too much about it to take material away from next week, but yeah. uh, he was perfectly uh, pleasant yes. and generally funny, and it, it was an engaging panel, even though I was exhausted and there were times where I caught myself jerking awake. It's like, no, this is, I want to hear this guy speak for my entire life. I just want to know if the sound effects from the phone of the lady clearly playing Pokemon Go in back of us came through on the MP3. I have not audited my raw recordings, but... <laughs> I came so close to saying something. I, <laughs> I don't care if you want to find your Charmander, do it with the sound fucking off. <laughs> Seriously. Like, you know, what a flutter by or whatever the fuck these things... With the sound fucking off. <laughs> off. Oh, you don't want to scream there's a Charmander in the room with Frank there. He'll sound the alarm. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Ceiling Pokemon is watching you masturbate. <laughs> I don't think we can get that title past <laughs> iTunes. So, yes, next week, ton of Frank Miller stuff. This week, the DC Universe panel. We specifically skipped the Make Mine Marvel panel to hit this one for a couple reasons. The first being we've never been to a Marvel panel that was anything but hype yeah. with absolutely no information. Uh, the second being, uh, yes, this is the first DC panel we've been able to go to at a convention, not only in over a year, but since DC Rebirth yeah. and the Watchmen stuff. And sure enough, not a fucking word about Watchmen was said in the entire panel. No. Nobody asked a question. I could have gotten up to ask a question. Amanda could have gotten up to ask the question. We, Even though nobody will give us press credentials, we try to pretend like we're <laughs> journalists. <laughs> and we don't want to make the news. We're there subtly cosplaying journalists. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's right. And instead of instead of meeting Deep Throat in a garage, we're listening to people Deep Throat in the fucking bathroom. <laughs> Certainly. Why ask about Watchmen? Why why let somebody why do a panel with the biggest goddamn earthquake to hit the DC universe since Crisis on Infinite Earths? Because Dan's tired. Yeah, well. <laughs> it was nice to see Dan DiDio moderating panels. I, I'll say that. Yes. One, one of our, our favorite events when we used to go to San Diego, and I hate to do all of this like Boston Comic Con talk, framing it with when we used to go to San Diego. <laughs> well, and But you can't not compare the two if you've been. They they're, they both have their own charms. Yeah, absolutely. And it's uh, it's reached the point where it's not completely unreasonable to mention them in the same paragraph anyway. Yeah. So um, one of our, our favorite panels when we used to go to San Diego, uh, Dan DiDio would moderate something, why we love comics. And it, and it wasn't a publisher-specific panel. It was just everybody coming together from all companies, walks of life. Oh, yeah. Rich Johnston uh, yeah. was on one. Levels of fandom. Sims. Yeah. I think it's the only question I've ever asked at a panel, and I believe it was Chris Sims who <laughs> smited me for thinking US1 was a piece of shit comic. I'll have you know that that outsold Batman in 1984. <laughs> we, we learned that at the Frank Miller panel. We learned that at the Frank Miller panel, that US1 was beating Batman with a... So even if, if information is not necessarily being disseminated, DiDio is a charismatic moderator who whose love for the craft clearly comes through in in every word that comes out of his mouth um he he has history and backstory on things he clearly knows where several bodies are buried uh <laughs> oh yes yep uh so it was it was a delight to watch him moderate regardless of anyone's feelings about the direction dc is headed in it was it's a delight to watch him moderate yeah look he can work a crowd <laughs> yeah you know he he for for all his faults he can fucking show enthusiasm and likability when he's in front of a crowd. Yeah. And for all I know, and there's a lot of evidence indicating it might be so, for all I know, he's a micromanaging sexist pig sent by the ghost of Jack Kirby to run DC into the dirt. I don't know, but goddamn. Did you hear that in the bathroom? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I heard something dirty in the bathroom. But, but goddamn, if he doesn't come across as likable when he's working a crowd. And I know Hitler could work a crowd, sure, fine. But it is Jesus! What, it is what it is. Did you just poe yourself? <laughs> uh, no, look, my thumbs are clean. We're not talking about the same no, thing, are we? No, we're not. <laughs> I don't think it's poe. I think it's some other Godwin? law. Godwin, yeah, okay. Godwin. Godwin, yourself. I didn't Godwin myself either, but <laughs> I don't think I did. But yeah, he clearly is enthusiastic. Clearly. He comes across as enthusiastic. He's fun to watch work a panel. And he did it when he was editor-in-chief for a long time, regardless of any other of his faults. And I have screamed about his faults, particularly over the last six or eight weeks on this show. I'm still not convinced he's really the guy. <laughs> really? Watchmen is all you have? Okay. Whatever. <laughs> but it was... Yeah. Fun to watch him work a crowd. I, I have now decided that at some point, the, the next time I have access to getting up, and I will, because we were close enough that I, I could have just walked over there had my legs not been shattered. I, <laughs> I, I am going to get up and I'm going to find some excuse to ask a question that involves ambush bug. So, Mr. Dio, <laughs> I understand that you're not going to talk about uh, DC Rebirth news at this panel, but I have to know, and I think every American out there wants to know, where's Ambush Bug? Yeah. What did Dr. Manhattan do to Ambush Bug? <laughs> I think Dr. Manhattan is Ambush Bug. <laughs> I, think, I think Ambush Bug bitch slapped Dr. Manhattan. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> he sent he sent Cheeks the Boy Wonder to slap him around. Amanda Connor, Jimmy Palmiotti, hi, longtime fan, first time uh, question asker. I got to know Harley Quinn ambush bug. When's it happening? <laughs> Do me a favor, ask that in the ladies' room. <laughs> Just apropos of nothing. I'll just say it out loud. And all of a sudden, the Pokemon in the ceiling will answer me. <laughs> and that's when they'll cart me away. That's, that's... Sorry, that's, that's too much. <laughs> and that's how they found me, fetal rocking back and forth. I saw the Pokemon in the ceiling, and he told me that Ambush Bug was coming. <laughs> Prepare yourself for Ambush Bug. Oh, they're going to slap the irons on you so fast they won't even be able to find the words. <laughs> Uh, all right. So, yes, the panel itself, uh, Dan DiDio was the surprise host. Although, earlier in the day, I could have sworn, I stopped in the middle of a row and turned around, and I, I could have sworn I saw Dan DiDio talking with Frank Thierry. Yeah. And even though he wasn't listed or anything, I was that, is that Dan DiDio? And I'm like, no, it can't be. I'm like, well, looking back, I'm like, why can't it be? <laughs> is there a surfeit of fucking Dan DiDio cosplay at Boston <laughs> Comic Con? <laughs> Somebody said, no, I'm not feeling Joker this year. I think a, I think a bald cap under a baseball cap is the way to go. <laughs> I've got this fake beard. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it, having him there was was a surprise. And while, you know, we do say, hold on, let me get my uh, audio in a position where I can do it. Okay. They didn't do very much news. He did uh, sort of bring up some of the reasons behind why they decided to do Rebirth. So the first thing I've got here uh, is a kind of a longer clip, but it's it's how DiDio opened up the panel, uh, basically saying some of the indications where he said, all right, maybe we need to rethink what we've been doing, at least for the last couple of years in, in the new 52. Mm-hmm. One of the things we realized, I would say last year, actually it's about a year ago, a year ago October, we were at the New York Comic Con about a year ago, and... One of the things that happened, because I hadn't done panels for a long time, and I came back on to do one panel there, and when we, we, we were up there and I had representatives of Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, all the key franchises up on stage, a lot to talk about, so I thought. And we did our panel and we opened up the floor to questions. And for the first time, nobody had any questions about story, characters, or anything that they cared about. But Mr. DiDio, have you seen my penis in this light? <laughs> You're about to. As a matter of fact, which is the most frightening thing that ever happened to me at a convention. Half the audience got up and left. The other half showed me their penis in this light. <laughs> he asked for questions. Just got up and left. It was nothing we said was interesting. So was he longing for the days that somebody would come up and ask him where Batgirl was? Uh, he absolutely... <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll get to the social justice question. <laughs> It's. I swear to God, at this point, when you when you go to these conventions, and for a long time, this wasn't the split. A long time, it was seventy five percent. The main question you got was, uh, "Hi, Mister X, big fan. Insert long, pointless story about how your work has affected my life." And my question is, how do you remain so awesome? And now it seems there's a split between. It's still seventy five percent, but about fifty percent of the seventy five percent are that. And the other 25% are, let me ask you about this social justice agenda that I want to forward no matter what anybody in the crowd is thinking and that I may or may not be using to get laid. <laughs> and that's, in its own way, that's okay. These social justice questions and the, the concept of inclusions in comics is important. And, and continuing the conversation about those inclusions is important. It absolutely is. It's just, it's such a weird environment when you're in a panel and 
if you're granted, look again, middle-aged white guy, I'm there to hear about the comics. And when these questions come, it's, it's as cringy to me as the, why are you so awesome questions? Because on some level, I, I have to believe a certain number of them are, Hey, this question is about me. Let me make this about me for the 30 seconds. I can control the mic. Certainly not all of them. Yeah. But we had a guy this year ask his question and he asked the same goddamn question last year at the Marvel panel. Yeah. So it's, it just, it, it's just a weird feeling when you're in the crowd. And at least this year. Well, and also I saw the guy and, and I understand also the importance of, of having these questions out in a public forum. But I saw the guy afterwards continuing to talk to Dio and I'm like, in my mind, that's, that's the appropriate venue for this question. <laughs> Look, I, it, actually, no, the public venue is the appropriate venue. Uh, I but just, but for the for the lengthy kind of conversation he clearly wanted to have. Yes, and look. In which case, uh, to the comic convention people pitch the panel. <laughs> yeah, see the the one thing I keep thinking of is that the big thing that started this kind of questioning was San Diego Batgirl. Yeah, uh, and it caused a huge firestorm, and everybody involved I think could have handled it better in 2011. But all I keep thinking is 2012. When she came back and gave them cookies and said, thank you. And at that point, it's about you. Yeah. At least uh, that's my call. And I'll, I'll get terrible emails because of this, but fuck it. Middle aged white guy. I'm wrong. Uh, it's, and it's, I'm okay with being wrong. Yeah, every, everybody views. <laughs> I, I try not to be wrong, but I have moments where I just have old guy cynicism. I try uh, to be better. I say but. everybody views these sort of interactions through their own particular lens. And it's, it's about how you comport yourself. It's one thing to have. To have the initial conversation, but yeah, then the after the fact, it makes it, it does make it seem like it's about you rather than just being classy about it and thanking them quietly. <laughs> uh, yeah. So anyway, we're derailing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, the next thing I've got is, uh, DiDio's personal realization, uh, that, uh, something may be wrong, uh, with, the post-New 52 universe and may need to be dealt with. Over and over again, I said, I love it when fans are happy. I love it when fans are angry. What I hate is when fans are apathetic. Because if they don't care, they just fade away. They don't come back. They found something better to do. Yeah, uh, I found something better to do. It's to shriek about fucking Dan DiDio and Watchmen. The apathy. That's their greatest villain. <laughs> the apathy? Yeah. <laughs> the ap- apathy is nobody's favorite. That's a terrible villain. <laughs> All right, we're going to hit the bank. Meh. We'll get <laughs> Clearly, to it. it seems to be the one thing they're fucking afraid of. <laughs> well, I mean, they, they kind of should be because, look, I was a huge DC fan, particularly in high school. I've said it a million times. DC was in the 1980s. That was the company that did Dark Knight Returns and did Watchmen and did Sandman and yeah. came out with Vertigo. DC was light years ahead of Marvel in the, the concept of comics being for a more adult audience and as somebody who was becoming an adult yeah obviously that was attractive to me and we started this website after the new 52 when we read all of the original new 52 and we tried to keep up with it and really found after about three years beyond batman yeah i was still reading green lantern Mm. it had its moments but yeah, a lot of them had kind of fallen off my radar yeah they they got to a certain point where they were doing the the um DCU and you being YOU and yeah. most of them weren't me. <laughs> and 
Well, it's yeah, they they tried to pivot based on the success of Batgirl of Burnside. Yeah. Which, Case in point, not me. Yeah, and and not every book needs to be for me. Not every book needs to be for you. But yeah, if if that's the direction they're pivoting in, they're kind of going to lose me on those books just yeah. cuz uh, yeah, I'm not a millennial. You know, I'm you know, oh, Batgirl's uh, posting on Instagram. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Next Batgirl will be playing Pokémon Go. Yeah. <laughs> Not yeah. now, Dick. I gotta catch them all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't care if you're Batgirl, Batman, or Jesus Christ Himself playing Pokemon Go. <laughs> I am going to find something else to to pay attention to. Damn, this Acme Chemicals plant is a Pokemon gymnasium. <laughs> I sound more crotchety than usual this week. It's a convention. Do more than a year at a convention. I'm out of shape. I'm just all beat up. It's okay. I, I, I'm in a bad mood for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> So actually, you know, all right, they weren't necessarily talking about news other than they got into the backstory of why Rebirth happened. It was nice to hear. It sounded humble. It sounded like it was coming from a place of humble humility. Yeah. Whether whether that was an act or not, you know, who the hell knows. But, you know, again, the man can work a crowd. It yeah. felt sincere. It in no way justifies bringing <laughs> Dr. Manhattan into the mix to me, but... Rage! Dr. I, Manhattan rage! I can't help it. I can't, uh, you know, I got that great commission, and you got that great commission. You know the best thing I got out of this convention? This new sound clip for the board. It's the end of the It's a gift that's going to keep giving. Oh, it, it will. It's It's got a prominent place. It's the end of the It's It's right next to... Where's my whiskey funnel? <laughs> Dan... <laughs> Dan. Dr. Manhattan Rage is is blue and naked with its wang out. <laughs> I feel filthy now. You should. So, <laughs> uh, all right. So, yeah, the next thing I've got is uh, it's still DiDio talking about uh, the origins of Rebirth and sort of the strategies that they've taken. So uh, here's one where he talks about the, how Jeff Johns sort of took point going to creative teams to try to give them an idea of what at least they're saying they were hoping Rebirth would be. Okay. Rebirth wasn't a reboot or a restart, as everybody says it is. It's actually a reset. It's getting back to the core conceits, getting back to the core strengths. And Jeff Johns, who had been working so closely in film and television, had a chance to work with the writers and artists at DC across the line because he didn't have a chance to time to write himself. And what he did is that he sat down and said, here's what we tell the writers of TV and movies and everything. This is what makes our characters great. And what we're telling everybody else, we've got to put back in our books. We gotta make our books and characters great again. Maybe it's time to have a refresher with Zack Snyder. <laughs> wait, wait, did he just say we have to make our books great again? Did he go Trump there? Oh God. <laughs> I heard it. Did you not hear it? I no oh, well, hold on. Can I get back to that? Yeah. Uh, we gotta make our books and characters great again. Yes, apparently he did. <laughs> <laughs> oh Dan. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> oh Dan. <laughs> See, even as contrite as he's trying to be. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I have to believe that I choose to believe I, that was probably on purpose. He probably did that on purpose. Yeah. I have no idea, but you're right now. I, now I can't now not can't, hear that. Yeah. That's, that's going to be my next sound clip, at least until, <laughs> at least until the next election. <laughs> I'll pull that one out. That's interesting that he had, uh, John sit down with the writers and, and kind of have a conversation about what the core components to each of the characters are, because, John's is well known for his love of the Silver Age, particularly. Yes. And 
with Rebirth, we are seeing a lot more core components universally in terms of Silver Age. I'm not sure Sil- Silver Age as much as just post-crisis. Okay. Because the, the, yeah. the biggest retreads that we have are uh, they've killed uh, New 52 Superman and in this week, Superwoman. Uh, seemingly have killed. Yeah, spoilers. <laughs> uh, uh, seemingly have apparently killed New 52 Lois Lane to clear the decks for the post-crisis Superman and Lois Lane. Right. Uh, they've brought back Wally West, uh, who is a Flash again, at least in a red costume, mm-hmm. which is very much a post-crisis. I haven't seen very much going back full Silver Age. Okay. And I'm, I think we need to see things play out a little bit more. But I think we're going to also start to see probably some more um, Justice Society-oriented things down the line. <laughs> yes. And Silver Age can be as much, I guess, about an attitude as it is about the characterizations. I think we're, I can, I can acknowledge that characters seem to be post-crisis, which is sort of probably what you'd want to do from a marketing standpoint if most of your audience is Generation X. Yeah. But a Silver Age attitude of good guys, bad guys, fun stories, not dark Batman isn't watching the Joker break his own neck. The, uh, the irony of making a Trump-like statement such as we're going to make our books and characters great again and then saying that you're having Jeff Johns talk to people about core values speaks to a turn towards a comics conservatism. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> At least in terms of, yeah, it, storytelling. We're not going to go grim, gritty, dark necessarily. We're going to play up the big colors and the very black and white, evil, good <laughs> Yeah, it's which which is fine. Look, Rebirth is working for me more than it's not. Yeah, there we were talking about this earlier before the show. There are more books that I legitimately like than I don't think there are any I, I specifically dislike. Green Arrow didn't do a hell of a lot for me. It was okay. Yeah, uh, that's the only one that really leaps out. Is just eh, this is fine. Yep. I it's, liked it well enough, but, you know, it, it's also, it didn't really stick to my brain beyond, isn't that like the weird Morlocksy kind of sex trade yeah. thing that they were? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, the fuck Morlocks. That's, <laughs> that was the story yes. in Green Arrow Rebirth 1. And they titled it exactly like that. Yes, because uh, they don't want to be on iTunes either. <laughs> yeah. But, but I, part of me wants to say the best thing they can do is say, fine, get all the publicity from the first DC Universe Rebirth number one issue with the Watchmen thing, mm-hmm. and then just let it fade away. Never be like Pandora. <laughs> Pandora was in every issue of the of every number one issue of New 52, and then sort of they did a Pandora War thing with her, but it was sort of off on the edge. Yeah. And uh, just say, fine, just uh, doc- Dr. Manhattan was involved. And then let's just pretend it never happened. <laughs> because realistically, there's if that's the major event, in air quotes, of what gave us Rebirth, it's really about 15 pages out of that book, mm-hmm. and it doesn't really matter, and a whole multitude of changes have come as a result of Wally West making his way back into the DC universe that are in no way explained. I mean... Yet. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. It's just sort of, okay, these are the changes that are happening. You know, right. This is why the characters are this way now. So just say, fine. Yes, somebody got a glimpse of Dr. Manhattan, and now we're all just moving on with our lives. Because uh, Rebirth, uh, again, it's 
it's really it's been solid. It's made me more excited for DC than I've been in the last three years or so. Yeah. It's a cautious excitement given it's the same people doing another reboot yes. that went completely sideways. But uh, what the hell? It's bringing back certain elements that I really liked. It may go sideways again, but fine. Keep doing what you're doing. Just, I don't, yeah, just <laughs> let's pretend that, that Dr. Manhattan was never seen. No, I, I don't disagree. And I'm just trying really hard not to make another blue wang joke because that's why you don't want to see him. <laughs> Uh, I've gone blind. Yes. So. All right. So so here's Dan. All right. So more audio. Here's Dan's uh, justification for for why the panel was not uh, particularly news heavy. I want to make this a little bit more of a panel, not just about what we're working on. You guys can read previews catalogs. This is about what makes them tick. What are they? Them being the other creators on the panel. Who Wait. I- I'm gonna read things. I can't read. <laughs> The the other creators on the panel, by the way, before I forget uh, or change a page and have to go hunt for it, was uh, Aaron Lepresti, uh, Phil Jimenez, Jimmy Palmiotti, and Amanda Connor. Yes. So that was who the what makes them tick are ticking. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, play. What you love about comics, because what you find out is when you talk to the talent, what you love is what they love. So other comic creators love shrieking about firing Dan DiDio. <laughs> chocolate cupcakes. <laughs> I think the translation was, don't let Crisis on Infinite Midlives ask us about fucking Watchmen. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's, uh, through the rest of this audio, there might be little tidbits of news or anything, but I more, as I was going through trying to pull clips, just look for stuff that was interesting about creators or, or funny, because we are here to entertain people, at least ostensibly. Yes. <laughs> So, uh, what do I have here? Uh, next thing I have is, uh, Amanda Connor actually, uh, and how she started out, uh, actually in comics retail and, uh, was talking about how at the time, uh, girls were not exactly the, uh, the target audience. Mm. So this is kind of a, a longer clip. So, okay. <laughs> all right. You know, we made our comic book store as nice as possible and a teenage girl walked in and when she figured out it was comic books, she backed out like you know she had <laughs> stumbled into a leper colony you know? and i'm like and i'm behind the counter i'm like hi how are you and she was like uh fine and then she just turned and ran and i was like i totally dated her <laughs> I, i'm just picturing this poor girl the fuck this isn't hot topic <laughs> what did what i wanted a harley quinn shirt where am i ew <laughs> well that's kind of a shame but I wanted to like give a big thank you to a lot of dads, a few moms, but many, many dads came into the comic book store and said, I have a brand new daughter. I have a daughter. She's four years old, but I'm going to get her hooked on comics. And I was like, awesome. So I, I think all of those girls are like in their 20s, you know, maybe early 30s now. And, and I'd like to think that they're all hooked on comics. It can work. Mm-hmm. It's uh, our, our buddy Joe from... Wednesday nights at the comic store was at Boston Comic Con with his whole family. Yep. I will never have kids. Fuck it. I'm taking my <laughs> comics to the grave. It's all me. That That's okay, hon. <laughs> we have had this conversation before. Uh, we're not working on our issues on the air, I swear to God. No, no. But there, there were... <laughs> Don't use that tone of voice. People think we are. <laughs> I don't know you're reading in my tone of voice, but okay. Uh, no, it, I, I was about to say that evidence of popularity, continued and growing popularity with a female audience was in evidence in the representation at the convention. There was a ton of women there. Oh, absolutely. It's I'd hate to estimate 50-50, but 
Was, they were. It, it certainly wasn't the sausage fest that you'd imagine based on uh, comic book guy and the Simpsons. No, the only place I saw a sausage fest in evidence was in the line of fe- people asking questions at the Miller panel. Not a woman to be seen in the question asking line. Yeah, I mean Miller. Uh, look, Miller has. <laughs> he's got. Uh, you get a particular following. Yeah, and I don't want to talk too much about that because I don't want to fucking truncate well, we'll, our show. Yeah, we'll for talk next about week. that more next week. But I'm just saying, in terms of where it was noticeable that, at least as far as people wanting to interact with creators, there were no women in the line there. <laughs> Miller fancies himself a writer for two fisted, hard drinking, fast driving males. Yeah. At least he fancies himself that way. Um, in reality, my favorite Miller stuff I read when I was between 16 and 22 years old. Mm-hmm. So make of that what you'd like. <laughs> um, we'll talk more about Frank next week we when will. we have Frank's actual voice. Yes. Uh, in the meantime, uh, here is, uh, it was, I think this is, uh, Aaron Lepresti, uh, talking about whether or not he should charge for autographs. Okay. That's when you know you're getting old is when people are bringing stacks like this and books for you to sign and you're going, I'm going to turn into Neil Adams and start charging for signature. <laughs> no, that was my jab at Neil. I'm sure he's in the back row listening right now. Neil Adams will have you killed. <laughs> he's in his room rolling on the money back. Last time, last time I, was I got lectured by him for 30 minutes on why I should charge my, uh, my books. And then his son came up to me afterwards and said, he just wants you to charge so we can charge more. <laughs> I'm still not charging. I would go berserk if I had to <laughs> look last year I paid for an autograph. It was 90 something dollars for Stan Lee's and I, I can see paying for a commission. Yes. You know, then you come back with something arguably concrete of serious value. In, in my mind, if you're going to get a book signed, I mean, does anybody really give a fuck about the signature except people who are trying to flip this shit on eBay? Um, I mean, I have some things that are signed, but it was, Early in my career going to comic stores looking for things or to conventions, and it was out of a place of, I love this creator, so I want them to sign this piece of comic art or this comic book that I have, yeah. not to flip on eBay. I mean, I'm sure that there are people out there. See, for me, it's it's never been about the signature. It's about the 30 seconds to interact with the person while they're Yeah, well, it's the memento after the interaction. Yeah, and certainly that has a sentimental value, but it's, for me, and I'm sure there are people who are different. God knows they sell things like autograph books and whatever for people who cherish these things, but for me, it's it's about the interaction. Yeah. The autograph is an excuse for the interaction. Right. You know, there were creators at this convention where I went and bought their trade you know, ostensibly, yes, I'd like this sign. Well, no, I just want to interact with a guy and tell him I really like this book and it meant a lot to me. And it's the excuse for the interaction. If you're going to charge me for that, yeah, I don't want to fucking talk to you. You want to monetize my fandom. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just, it's not a thing that makes any sense to me. And, you know, Neil yeah. Adams has been at Boston Comic Con and certainly we've seen him at, uh, San Diego Comic Con. And yeah, he was one of the big artists, particularly when I was a kid in the seventies of, you know, Batman and, but yeah, I'm, I'm not going to pay him to say I like his work. <laughs> I've Although been, at that point, if you're giving him the $20, I, I think it's reasonable at that point to have an open conversation about Batman on Odyssey. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I was going to say, dude, I bought every issue of Batman Odyssey. I bought it because I like the art. Um, 
the story is incomprehensible. I've already paid you because I like your work. Hey, Mr. Adams, here's $20 for your signature. Also, what drugs are you taking and where can I get some? Yeah, it's... <laughs> uh, I don't know. Whatever makes you believe in a hollow earth, I guess. That sounds like a deeply dopey heroine. But... I, don't, I, don't, I don't mind handing money over to, to creators for things. They're trying to make a living and not all of these gigs pay great. But it's already for me, and I talked about this earlier with my attempt to, at to go up to Raphael Al- Albuquerque's table, and it was no fault of his own. I just I, I already already feel awkward enough as it is. Yeah. <laughs> um. You know, I I damn near tripped over myself trying to interact with Kyle Higgins to have him sign something at the Chicago convention. Right. And it's it's enormously anxiety provoking <laughs> for some people. Uh, yeah, uh, and having the book or buying the book or whatever is the excuse for the interaction. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I I don't go up to creators and just go, hey, man, just want to take suck up your time with everybody else and yeah. you know, say I like your work. It's you know, Whether I bring a book or I buy one that's there, you know, yeah, but to pay for the – certain certain creators have a policy of, look, if I'm signing more than X, I'm going to charge you this much. Right. Because at that point, it reeks of sign it all so I can flip it. And I've seen people like that. We were walking by somebody's table, not this year, like last year, and they had a whole like travel bag, <laughs> like oh, yeah. rolly people, cart. Like... I've seen people bring short boxes up yeah. to creators. And it's at that point, it's not it, – there's no nothing personal in it. Right. Yeah, you know, I guess maybe in certain people's minds, it's oh no, if he signs everything I have, then my collection is complete, and then I own him, and then I will become him, <laughs> and then I will become God. Well, it's, it's what makes it. It's what it. What ugh, I can't even talk. See, I'm talking about creators, and I'm getting tongue tied. Um, <laughs> it's it's that attitude where the fan is making it about them rather than about how we're celebrating the creator as a fan. Uh, which is again goes back to when we were touching on the gentleman who had an earnest question about a social justice issue, but it was making it about him. It, 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 At least it seemed that way yeah. to me. But I'm just saying it's the same sort of thing with somebody who's going up and and sucking up somebody's time when there's all these other people in line waiting to go up and and talk to a creator or purchase something, make an interaction, be mindful of the audience and read the room. Well, it's. Make no mistake, when you walk up to a creator for any reason, whether it's to get a commission or to get a book signed or to just say, hey, man, thanks for everything. I like your work. It is it is about you. They are there, hopefully, to make a profit off of that instinct. That's yeah. not cynical. That's America. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you have to be cognizant of their time has a value. So, yeah, if you just walk up, you know, if I walked up to, uh, I don't know, it's a Joe Hill is the example. Last year, I got okay. something signed by him, and we had a good minute-long conversation with him while he signed uh, one of my trades. Yep. But it was also, there was nobody else around, and it was just sort of an organic thing that came up. Because, yeah, we signed in the book, and we were talking about something else completely. That you, you sort of drove that conversation. It was something about something he said in one of the panels. I don't remember. We probably talked about it last year. Yeah, that, but, the My Little Pony thing, I think. He had this whole vision for... <laughs> Oh, Has- yeah. Hasbro is um, in the process of creating a shared universe between uh, G.I. Joe and the Transformers and, and a variety of, of um, licenses that IEW now 
has or has had. Right. And that's uh, right. I remember. Joe Hill had this vision for bringing the the My Little Pony universe in and just having them in like rabid <laughs> and having GI Joe come over the hill and wipe them, wipe out. them out. Yeah, I remember that now. <laughs> but yeah, it was just, it was a fun little conversation. He signed the book um and and that was it. And we didn't hold anybody up and it was friendly and we all went on with our lives. Right. So <laughs> Right. So that's what I'm saying about like reading the room. Like, yes, it's important for you as a fan to have that moment, but it's just as important for every other person who's attempting to interact with that creator or that panel. Exactly. And and even with that interaction, I brought my own book for him to sign. And again, I didn't give a shit about the signature. I don't even remember which book he signed. It was I wanted to meet the guy and talk to him for a minute. But it, I bought a couple of books from the IDW booth. That's again, there's you try to be cognizant of, yes, there's there is a transaction here, right? But if the transaction is based on, hi, don't you fucking talk to me unless you give me five dollars. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't want to talk to you. Do not make eye contact with the talent unless you have your money ready in hand as yeah. you approach the table. <laughs> exactly. Do not taunt happy fun ball. <laughs> yeah, so it's uh, yeah, I got no problem if it's like, hey, hey look, I'll sign. I'll yeah. It's a, I'll sign five things, but after that, uh, I got to charge you because at right. that point, you know, you're trying to monopolize time, or you don't really want to meet me. You just want something to sell. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the idea of yeah, five dollars the minute you walk in the door, it's I can't do it. And you know, look, I paid the ninety something dollars. Technically, I met Stan Lee. Yep. I stood within four feet of Stan Lee. He looked up at me and smiled for a second, and then I was shuttled away. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So it's, uh, I'll never do that again. I won't. Yeah. And that's valid. That was a long tangent for a short clip. It's okay. Just because it had a good funny joke in it. That's <laughs> mainly why I pulled it. Uh, let, let's do it another way. This is a uh, Jimmy Palmiotti, uh, who is actually, he's, he's older than we are. He's 10 years older than we are today. Wow. The day we're taping, August 14th, is his birthday. Happy birthday, he, Jimmy Palmiotti. He's, uh, he's spending it in Boston. Uh. With that Brooklyn accent. <laughs> So apparently he's decided he's fucking lived long enough. <laughs> are, are Brooklyn people Yankees people or Mets people? I've lost track. Uh, or I, actually, I never really cared. Yeah, I never gave a fuck either. Because they were like the Giants or something, right? Uh, Dodgers. Dodgers. Brooklyn Dodgers. Okay, so there was also they probably the, hopped on the Mets. Somewhere there was Yeah, because the, the Bronx are the Mets. No, are, the, are the Yankees Bronx people. Bronx are the Yankees. Yeah, so. so I think everybody else is the Mets. It doesn't matter. 1986. Fuck the Mets almost as hard as the Yankees. <laughs> I don't give a shit. <laughs> anyway. So, he lives yeah. in Florida now. He's got the Tampa Bay Rays. <laughs> <laughs> Poor son of a bitch. I think they're the only team. Them and the Diamondbacks are the only ones the Red Sox can beat this year. <laughs> no. But uh, so yeah, he's not that much older than we are. But he's talking about uh, in this clip when he was a kid and you know how he you know got access to comics. You know, in Brooklyn, it was like a thing to sit on your stoop, bring out your comics, and your friends would bring them over, and then we'd swap them and read them. And we didn't care about bags or keeping them in mint condition. I mean, these things were brutal. These comics were rolled up. You know, actually, we would fight each other with the actual comics. You know, it was just... I'm crying inside a little bit. But it was in my blood, you know. It, it was all that kind of stuff that grew up in a time where comics were everywhere. You go to a barbershop, you go here, you go there. Comics were everywhere. And... I mean, certainly he's a little bit older than we are, but that's kind of how it was. Our childhood, yeah. Yeah. It's... I mean, I, I didn't have any neighbors with whom I could interact and sit on my stoop and... And, and Do I have to go for the no? I'm just saying Hulk music. Just is another opportunity to talk about my shitty childhood. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't have to play the sad Hulk music. I'll, I'll play this one. Now put your hands together for the man who's falling apart before our eyes. <laughs> 
but you know, comics were available on the spinny rack when my my, my dad had taken me to the packy to get his beer. And <laughs> <laughs> shouldn't have stopped the Hulk theme. <laughs> so they they were in in places where you can't find them now. I the last time I was in a liquor store, there were no comic books. Only the ones I brought. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I've said it a million times. I got them at the local corner store, you know, Ebb's Corner Grocery or whatever the hell it was called. And yeah, yeah they had a spinner rack and they get them at toy stores and those uh, packages of three. Yep. Where the middle one was always some goddamn stinker, like a Charlton comic. Or... The last time I saw them in any kind of spinny rack was around, at least around here in the Metro Boston area, was at an Osco drugstore. At, yeah, in like 1998, maybe. <laughs> no, there there was some some local pharmacy uh, since the 2000s because you and I were together. Okay, that oh, that's one. that's in the South Shore. I think this is where you saw this. In the oh, it, it could be, and I always went out of my way to buy some comic from them just yeah. to to keep it kind of going. But I, uh, up here, I think the last time I saw it was in the the very late 90s, maybe early 2000s, and then uh, once. The supermarket next door bought out the Osco and they merged. The, the spinner racks went away. Yeah. I mean, I, I've said before, my first, you know, non paperboy job was I was a bag boy at a supermarket in the mid late 80s and they had a spinner rack. So whenever I'd go on break, I'd buy comics. They'd spend half my goddamn salary on the comics and the spinner rack after a while. Yeah. But they were still available. So just uh, the main reason I, I pulled that one was just sort of a, uh, yeah, I, I remember when that was. <laughs> yeah, that's what it was like. That that said, I like hanging out with the guys at the local comic store on uh, Wednesdays. I do too, and and that, you know, as much as I I miss my dad and him buying me comic books at the liquor store. <laughs> <laughs> for, I think it may be good now that my chocolate, and my peanut butter are not mixed, and I go to two separate venues for these things. <laughs> yes, thank God our local bar is right next door to the comic <laughs> store. <laughs> Separated by a thin veneer, but separate nonetheless. Yes. So, all right, next thing is uh, just a short anecdote on how uh, Palmiotti and Amanda Connor uh, managed to get assigned the Harley Quinn book, which mm. has become a runaway success. Uh, short version of the story. It's Dan and Dio's fault. Too long, didn't read. <laughs> yes, but uh, here's the longer version. It's Dan's fault because uh, we were in a retail summit in Orlando, Florida, and I went to meet Dan there and they were the retailers were saying you got to do more of this and you got to do more of that you know they yelling at dan for stuff and uh and one guy said you should be slower and the shaft do a harley quinn book and dan just turned to me he goes hey you want to do harley quinn with amanda and i'm like yeah sure why not and that's how i got that tip and it was literally like like i was in the right place at the right time sometimes that's all it takes yeah it sounds like that dan is aggressively micromanaging things <laughs> Yeah, he's he's got a plan. <laughs> uh, fake it. It's a good plan. It's been working for me for a long time. There you go. So uh, next thing I got is uh, also Jimmy Palmiotti uh, with some of the inspiration for how uh, he and Amanda Connor uh, decided that they would go in the direction they did with Harley's characterization in the book. We looked at Harley and, uh, and said, okay, you know, people love the Bruce Tim version, you know, with Paul's right, Bruce and Paul's version. The video game one is out, it's a little more hardcore, and uh, you know, we said, well, let's just make an amalgam and make her more fun and get her out of Gotham and work on her personality a little bit more. So basically, it's uh, if Harley Quinn from the cartoon and Harley Quinn from the video game made a baby, uh, I, I would I would watch that origin story <laughs> until it was sticky. 
Oh, dear. <laughs> I was going to say, they had a similar approach to when they were rehabbing Starfire. Okay, we got to get her out of this, this like, fucking clusterfuck yeah. that the last group put them into. <laughs> yeah. And, and while, now... While yeah. still acknowledging it's a thing that happened. Yeah. But... And, and we're just going to give them a, a new Scooby gang. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's weird. I I liked their Starfire better than the the Harley Quinn book. Just has not hooked me. I'll, I'll read it, and it's I enjoy like, it. this is not bad. I enjoy it. I I'm enjoying how they're attempting to sort of shift her into more of the anti-hero role than the straight up villain role. The uh, the relationship she's developed with Poison Ivy is is cool on a, on a variety of levels. Yeah. Um, the, the family that she's built for herself. I'd like to see it. They referenced in Harley Quinn number one with rebirth, um, her, cause she, they did a really truncated origin story. Yeah. And they referenced her family in, uh, New York. I, I, I don't remember if they came up at all in the new 52, but if they haven't, I'd like to see, uh, Connor and Palmiotti explore that a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I've ever actually seen her actual family she yeah. came from somewhere we know her background she's for got like a sake. brother and a mom and a dad and they're retired yeah. and i'd like to know more yeah that's <laughs> i could get behind that but mom right. had purple hair in the picture <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right now i definitely want to know more <laughs> so uh all right what do i have next uh this is uh both palmiati and uh connor uh talking about how their real life uh experiences uh, inspire their writing on on Harley with the uh, the concept of truly disgusting insects. I mean, just an example, like we were talk- we were getting bitten up by mosquitoes. Yes. We were, I think, I don't know where we were. I think maybe in Italy or something. And we were. Yeah, there were all these mosquitoes. Italian mosquitoes. They don't go. This is. They go. Hey. <laughs> uh, everyone's a fucking comedian. God damn. Happy birthday, buddy. But stop it. <laughs> yeah, my experience in Italy, I didn't. They don't put screens on the windows. At least not any of the places that I stayed in Florence or or Rome. Um, you don't need the sad Hulk music, I promise. <laughs> but like, my big thought was, oh god, there's no screens on the windows. Birds and whatever mosquitoes are going to come in and like eat me in the night that didn't happen well the, apparently you were in the right part of italy apparently at the right time of year apparently i'm not going to play sad hulk you went overseas well, no, cause every time i open my mouth out you, you got your finger ready like you're wait, waiting <laughs> <laughs> she's gonna say something <laughs> it's, i need to be prepared because sometimes it goes down that route but <laughs> no you went overseas you saw the world and uh i had to fix our tivo and i ate fucking <laughs> take out pizza every night <laughs> yeah, trust me that's my sad hulk music <laughs> doing fucking computer repairs surprised your blood pressure wasn't through the friggin ceiling by the time it came home i'm sure it was of course <laughs> i had a nosebleed when i got home so whose blood pressure <laughs> uh all right good point anyway there's more of this it's horrible and uh so we're there and and, uh, and i go to a man i'm saying you know like if, if, if mosquitoes bit you and they sucked the fat out of you everyone would have mosquitoes everywhere <laughs> you know there would be like places you go to get bitten by mosquitoes you wear a suit with a hole cut out and they bite this. <laughs> so anyway, I'm like, oh, that's a pretty good Harley issue. You know, she has a she actually has yeah. fat eating mosquitoes. And it's it's ridiculous, okay? It totally is. But on some weird level, I don't think works. there's anything too ridiculous for Harley. <laughs> <laughs> Not once you get to that point, no. 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 <laughs> the the question did come up during the panel, and DiDio brought it up, uh, as to who when the humor gets really twisted in that book, uh, who actually does it. And uh, 
I didn't grab the whole conversation, but I, I did grab uh, Jimmy Palmiotti talking about Amanda Connor's first writing gig. Yeah. So. When I say first writing gig was kidnapped and fluffy. Yes. It was a thing for event comics, and Amanda wrote a scene <laughs> where a giant robot dog humps the Spider-Man balloon at the Macy's Day Parade. <laughs> she wrote that. Yeah. Very proud of her for that. <laughs> Jimmy Palmiotti's a lucky man. Yes. <laughs> I am too, but he, he can be lucky too in his own way. Uh, and actually, I do have one more thing about uh, Amanda Connor talking about how she tries to get away with the most possible on that book. And it is true. Like I, I like to see what kind of depravity I can get away with. You know, It is like, let's see if we can get away with this. Let's write this in and see if we get red flagged. Um, I always tell Jimmy, you know, like we're the king and queen of red flags up at DC Comics. It is our next character, by the way, red flag. <laughs> uh, and I, I take it back. I, I, Jesus, I cut these in a white heat. I don't even remember what I did. Um, but it's... <laughs> Apparently, when it comes to the dark humor, it almost doesn't matter who writes it because the the credit is never put appropriately, I guess, between each member of the team. Yeah. So at least when people don't like the book, they tell. Them- Sorry, go ahead. I say at least in in Jimmy's version of events. <laughs> uh, that's true. <laughs> We're all the hero of our own story, I suppose. Yes. But go- when people don't like the book, they tell me they blame me. And when they like it, they, t- they, they blame Harley. It's like the funniest thing on Instagram. I have people attacking me all the time. You ruined Harley, you ruined Harley. I'm like, they never put Amanda's name. But when it's great, they go, Amanda, you're fantastic. Your Harley is the best book ever. And I'm like, what? It's just like this show, actually. <laughs> I am a saint. You are. I don't know how you put up with me ranting like a spastic. Did you get the clip uh, where Amanda talks about, you know, in terms of pushing the boundaries and getting red flags, rather than calling it Harley um, Quinn Rebirth, it was going to be Harley Quinn Afterbirth? Funny you should ask, Amanda. (laughs) As a joke, we do a DC Rebirth, right? So we're we're laughing and saying, we're not going to do a Rebirth issue of Harley Quinn. But maybe we should do <laughs> an afterbirth issue of Holly Quinn. And, and Amanda, what do you do? Amanda here is turning red as we're doing this. <laughs> this is the best. I, I I feel like Amanda Connor like shares a brain with me. This is beautiful. <laughs> so, so it was like, like, damn, that's a great idea. So I did a cover sketch that didn't get approved. Maybe I'll like put the, you know what, I might tweet the, the sketch that didn't get approved out just for fun. Um, I looked, she hasn't yet. Ah. Harley's got her foot in stirrups and <laughs> Ivy and Big Tony are standing around looking horrified. And there's like a doctor with bloody hands in the foreground and you know, instead of, you know, a baby, it's the rebirth, the, the, the issue for rebirth. So. It would have been a great cover. Uh, I've thought of the commission that I want for next year. <laughs> she doesn't do commissions. It's it, She doesn't, and she doesn't, uh, uh, no, she doesn't. No. I, I was going to say, our buddy Joe uh, gave her a cover to sign, and she did a quick sketch without being asked. But yeah, apparently, because she's seen so much shit flipped on eBay. Right. So yeah, she doesn't do commissions or sketches, but if she, I get the sense if she senses you're, gen, you're genuine, she might give you a quick face or something. She's not going to give you a quick uh, Harley Quinn afterbirth. No. <laughs> no, she will not. And thank God, actually, now that I think about it, 
and this is an inkwash of the Rocketeer, and and here here's a here's a Jersey slut giving birth to a red rum, book. red rum. <laughs> Christ. Oh. All right, so yeah, we had a ton of Harley Quinn stuff there. Um, I do have one, and this is long. And I'll warn you right now, this is the one uh, clip that I had to sort of edit to kind of get length involved. Okay. But uh, it's uh, we're talking about Superwoman. This is uh, Phil Jimenez uh, with a long answer of what he sort of brought from when he worked on Wonder Woman mm-hmm. uh, into uh, Superwoman, at least the, the first few issues. What I would say is that my carryover from Wonder Woman, the thing that there, there were themes and... and ideas that mattered to me and a lot of it had to do with the way people treat other people so the one thing that i carried out from wonder woman was this idea that even if characters particularly there are two in superwoman that might not like each other i didn't want them to be bad to each other like that was just a really big thing to me to sort of represent possibilities other than ones we might be used to one of the reasons i like comics and then i will wrap up and fiction generally is you can approach it two ways. You can use it to talk about the world, talk about the ills of the world, um, usually through metaphor, or you can suggest new ways to think about the world. And I like to use both in my work. Um, I like to talk about what's happening, and then I like to say, what if this happened? Wouldn't this be amazing? So in Superwoman, my approach was to honor the characters as they existed, as I inherited them, and then to use them to maybe ask the world a few questions, like, what if? Whereas in my work, I, I like to try to fit as many uh, balls jokes <laughs> into talking about comics as I possibly can. I want you guys to go out there and protect your balls at any cost. <laughs> Ding, I win. And having read Superwoman number one, I <laughs> there are no balls jokes. And Jimenez did a, an excellent job actually bringing to the table you, something you don't see a lot of is um, a positive working female relationship. Yeah, they clearly, uh, and we're not going to talk too much. Uh, look, it's been a long, a long weekend. We're not going to talk too much about uh, specific comics issues, but we did both read this. And yeah, it was two characters who clearly are kind of at odds. Yes. You know, they both feel they had a particular relationship with Clark Kent and or Superman, the New 52 version, and are trying to figure out how to work together. And one is gung-ho to become Superwoman, and the other does it sort of reluctantly. But yeah, they did work together pretty well it's uh, what he was going for there of people who don't necessarily like each other Mm -hmm. and are not necessarily at not cross purposes but not necessarily going in the same direction are able to find a way to work together and you you see a lot of in in female relationships as they're portrayed often um antagonism and cattiness and and you don't see that in this book and it's refreshing frankly it's one of the things in the um um much talked about Ghostbusters reboot, the idea of female friendship being portrayed in a, in a positive light rather than catty drama. <laughs> yeah. And it, I'm hoping to see more of this. This is an exciting thing to explore in, in, especially if you consider one of the hallmarks of the new 52 is this sort of like brotastic thing with a lot of, of, stereotypical masculinity like in Red Hood and the Outlaws comes to mind. (laughs) Yeah, but you know what? Even there, and it does speak to there is a gap in the storytelling market when it comes to female friendships versus male friendships. You know, from a certain percentage of the population, a stereotypical brotastic male relationship is predominantly, you know, hey, how can we get poontang and date rape and then (laughs) high five? And 
you don't have to go far to find male friendships in comics or any other kind of fiction that is not that, that is much more genuine. Yeah. Where, yeah, you see a lot of frenemies in right. female friendships right. in, in all kinds of fiction, let alone comics. It, it's 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 stereotypical and perhaps easier for people to write, but it's not, hopefully, not as prevalent as media would lead you to believe. Right. So... Yes, we'll go straight from that into uh, cartoons. <laughs> <laughs> Let's. It's, uh, we'll go back to some of that because, again, there was later on the obligatory social justice question. We have some audio uh, from from the responses to that, which were actually, you know, again, I look back to 2011 where everybody was defensive. Mm-hmm. and It's good that the guy asked the question. It's Yes, whatever the motivation, there are questions that need to be asked. I question the motivation often. I probably question it when it shouldn't be questioned sometimes, but there are questions that need to be asked. The way your eyes lit up when I was at least bright enough to say, you know, yeah, frenemies, I, I, I'm not as much a troglodyte. I don't recognize the gaps in comics that need to be filled, but you, I am a middle-aged dude, and sometimes <laughs> I'm blind to things that I shouldn't be. You, no, you. I think you, you do a nice job being able to ask hard questions because it's very easy for me to go off like I'll, I'll uh, here I'll just admit this sometimes I'll just sit down and read the Mary Sue for a really long time or Jezebel and then I'll get off the computer and be very angry <laughs> just be very angry about things and, and I, <laughs> I believe that is its intended purpose it's, it's a lovely echo chamber to like get people who have feelings about women's issues whipped up into a frenzy and um, it serves its purpose very well and and it's a necessary space um but (laughs) not every space needs to be for me yeah but sometimes that means that i will then go to say the age of ultron movie and get whipped up into a frenzy about how vision is a potentially abusive boyfriend to scarlet witch (laughs) and bringing things to it that may not be there or might be there but maybe not there look (laughs) let's be completely fair that's civil war not age of ultron Right. <laughs> See, that's how angry it made me. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Sometimes I ask the hard questions, like, does this look infected? Ask the hard questions, like, did you really see the movie that you thought you saw? <laughs> Let's go back to cartoons. Where are your pants? <laughs> <laughs> that's my business. This is radio. Pants are an always choice, Amanda. Not on radio. <laughs> Not on radio. You, you feel free. Okay. <laughs> Let's go back to cartoons. Apparently, Aaron Lepresti is a big fan of the Herculoids. And uh, this is one little, it's not even news, but it's sort of uh, history. Apparently, you know, we've got all the Hanna-Barbera uh, comics coming out uh, right now. Okay. And Amanda is apparently a huge fan of the Flintstones. Oh, my God. The Flintstones comic. Which People, have, read the Flintstones comic. I have not read the Flintstones comic because I had what I believed was a natural reaction of, Huh, you're trying to make the Flintstones a serious thing. I never liked it all that much when it wasn't, uh, but apparently there's... It's good. It's good. <laughs> all right, I will try to read the next couple, and maybe we'll talk about number three when it comes out right. uh, on the the appropriate episode. But apparently it was not DC's first chance to get the Hanna-Barbera, or their first effort to get the Hanna-Barbera properties for comics. And Lepresti talked a little bit about the history from about seven or eight years ago when they took a shot at it. Okay. When I was doing Wonder Woman, which was like, what, seven or eight years ago, Dan and I were talking about getting the Warner Brothers, I guess the Warner Brothers now, the Hanna-Barbera characters, but they were, you know, Warner Brothers owns them now. 
and getting those and doing the book. And I said, I will leave Wonder Woman in a second to do the Herculoids. And I remember Ethan Van Skyver grabbing me. It was like a dinner conversation. He goes, don't leave Wonder Woman for the Herculoids. You would out of your mind, you know? <laughs> but that's so typical of what I will do. You know, I will, you know, well, I'm not going to do Spider-Man. I'd rather do the Creeper, you know? So, um, Is this a fuck, Mary kill joke? I'm not sure. <laughs> That's why I have no career. Um, how did I get on this panel? Um, I snuck in. But so, so anyway, this. But they, as I recall, and correct me if I'm wrong. You probably don't remember, but I do. He, they would. Warner Brother would not give up the Hanna Barbera characters without the Looney Tunes characters, which you didn't want, and so it never came to fruition. It's remember. This is probably 10 years ago at this point, maybe more. Remember when uh, the WB or somebody, when they still had Saturday morning cartoons, mm. was doing the Looney Tunes extreme version? Yeah. And they updated like Bugs Bunny and the Tasmanian Devil. and It the, was a bad choice. The shit storm that came after that. <laughs> everybody said, not my Bugs Bunny. And <laughs> I'll, All right, so let's give Dan DiDio enough credit for not wanting any piece of that. No, but now I'm I'm envisioning a a world in which there could have been a crossover with Captain Carrot. Oh, <laughs> Bugs Bunny versus Captain Carrot. I I Fuck want yeah. that almost more than anything I've ever wanted, and I never heard of it before eight seconds ago. That would be fucking glorious. Yeah. Now, who do I have draw that as a commission the next time at a, at a convention? <laughs> uh, you need someone who can do cartoony. Uh, let's let's think about it. Uh, I'm not sure. But think about this. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Stan Sakai. He does a. I mean, <laughs> that would be a hell of a thing. He'd look at you blankly. It's like none of these are my characters. Well, when I can finally afford uh, Raphael Albuquerque art, he did do an excellent commission of Calvin and Hobbes. Oh, that's right. I remember that one. Yeah. <laughs> and Stan Sakai is another one. Just as a side note, I want to. I have only just started reading a saga. Uh, uh, Asagi Yajimbo, yeah. am I saying that right? I've had a couple beers. Um, I think that's right. I've read the first two omnibus editions because uh, for Usagi years... Asagi Yajimbo. Thank you. Um, for years, uh, it was just another one of those funny animal with a sword comic books because yeah. I grew up in the 80s and yeah, I had no time for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles beyond the first volume where it was actually a reasonably effective daredevil mm. satire. But yeah, as it blew up, it's like, I have no time for it. And friend of the show, Trebuchet, has been a fan forever and has been collecting the comics and the trades. And he finally convinced me to give it a shot. And I've gotten through the first couple of omnibus editions. But I'm in no way, it's like hardcore fan. But yeah, it's uh, I went and stopped at his table to get a sketch and to get a sketch for Trebuchet. Yeah. Because he's a buddy and his birthday was a while ago and I blew it off because we're dudes and hey, male friendship, <laughs> date rape and forget your birthday and uh, bitches, man. But, but it's, uh, again, friendly guys, I'm saying, uh, look, I haven't read all your work, but I like it. But uh, my buddy is a huge fan and I'm just mumbling like a moron to this guy and he was just friendly and it was a good experience. You can always talk to these creators. Most of them will at least humor you. Some of them uh, will treat you like Swine. <laughs> Some of them won't make eye contact while they quickly go through the stack of comics that you brought to the table and sign them because you didn't actually want them to sign all of them, just one of them, but they've got your stack now. Exactly. And, and the handlers have told you not to touch the talent. Yes, and uh, you were just hoping to uh, trade the, yes, yeah, you will uh, sign, and I'm just hoping to meet and speak with you for 30 seconds. Uh, <laughs> yes. I'd love to name all these people. Uh, not going to. No. <laughs> all right. 
Uh, so what else do I have here? Number 17 is, oh yeah, there was a, a question. Everybody on the panel was both a writer and an artist. Yes. So Dio asked everybody on the panel, uh, whether they preferred, uh, writing or drawing. Uh, and I chose the funniest answer. So, I'm going to guess this is Mr. Palmiotti? No, actually, this is, uh, actually, no, I chose the funniest two. Okay. So yes, the first is, uh, Amanda Connor. Okay. So. I like drawing. <laughs> That's the whole thing. <laughs> no. Cool <it's>... story, bro. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I like it so much better than writing. You know, I, I and I do love like I love writing Harley, but man, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know what? And and I love the artists that we get on Harley. And at the same time, I envy them so much because I want to be drawing it, but I'm just not fast enough to do a monthly book. And I wish I was because, no, I'm not. Especially now, like, you know. <laughs> but, but yeah, um, that's why when I get an opportunity to draw, I'm, I'm so happy. And, and, and I've gotten to the point now, now I'm a little bit of a control freak myself. Like, I'll get a script and I'll be like, I'm going to do this on it, you know, and I've mostly been working with Jimmy now, you know, so when I do change it up, as long as I change, you know, like, make sure he knows what's going on in the script, I don't drive him too nuts, so. <laughs> We're not on a high enough floor for me to jump out the window. <laughs> uh, that's a loving marriage. It is, it is. No, and actually, just watching them together, like, on on that panel and and we happened to be in back of them on the escalator down we weren't stalking promise um <laughs> they just seemed to be so cool together and it, it, he had his arm around her it's just it, it was it was just cool <laughs> see i didn't notice because you were stabbing me with a sharpened screwdriver and <laughs> no <laughs> uh, amanda and i have a, a similar relationship <laughs> yes uh here's jimmy palmiotti answering the same question uh much shorter um, it's also a lot more relaxing to write the sentence, a thousand tanks come over the hills, than drawing it. <laughs> you know, so I, I tend to like the writing. Yeah, I tend to like the writing a little more these days, for sure. Oh, you're that guy. <laughs> yep. I respect that. It's like when Kirkman like gives Charlie Adler a script. It's like, and then a thousand walkers come over the hill. And that's why Charlie Adler hasn't woken up not screaming in ten years. Um, I, I don't know if you have it in there. Do you have the, the cl any clips from when they started to take audience questions? Uh, I have several of them. Uh, the first one I have is a very truncated one from, uh, the first question was a very open-ended, uh, a, uh, a soon-to-be art student who was hoping to break into comics and asking for advice. All right, I'll let you play that, and then if, if the thing I'm thinking of isn't in there, I'm going to tell a, an interesting story um, about some shade that was thrown. Okay. <laughs> uh, it may or may not be in there, because what I have is literally a five-second clip from that long answer from everybody. Okay. Um, because it just... And it is entitled, Maybe It's Time to uh, Cut Liefeld a Little Bit of Slack. <laughs> Except for feet. Oh. I think feet are harder than faces, but... Well, yeah, you mean, well, I also yeah. hate trying feet. Yeah. So apparently, See, I, I took that as they were throwing shade at really? Liefeld. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, I did not because all their answers to this kid were so earnest. You know, long answers about, look, put away comic books for a while, take life drawing classes, just Which draw. clearly Liefeld didn't do. Uh, no, not ever. I mean, we... <laughs> 
I ranted at length about uh, two people trying to shake right and left hands just so it looked okay across the front of a panel my only in Suicide attempts, Squad. My only recent attempts at artwork have been to ape life <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we have a couple of uh, never... Well, I used MS Paint to do a death stroke that kind of looks like... <laughs> <laughs> kinda <laughs> if I was eight or my fictional cousin Bobby Billy. Uh, yeah cousin Billy Billy yeah. yes uh, we have a couple <laughs> a couple of cartoons on the fridge of Amanda just mocking Rob Liefeld not yeah. considering every other answer was so earnest you know yeah. like literally a, a uh, Jimenez and uh, somebody else on the panel I forget who said yeah dude we'll talk to you after yeah. we'll give you advice all day long Everybody was so earnest and wanting to help this kid out in right. his path. Uh, I took that as legitimate, you know, saying, "Oh yeah, maybe feet are hard." I mean, realize I couldn't draw a foot. <laughs> if you cut my foot off and put it on a piece of paper, I couldn't trace <laughs> it because of blood loss. But uh, let's see. So, uh, what else do I have here? Um, <laughs> uh, this is uh, I. I named I named this uh, clip Harley's Beaver dot wave. Jesus, uh, and uh, it, yeah, it's apparently why does Harley talk to Bernie the Beaver uh, from Jimmy Palmiotti? I, I get the character, but I don't really know about her, like what she's thinking. I see her, you know, she does this, she does that, but I don't really know what she's thinking. And we thought, well, what a great thing to have her talk to her own beaver. And then it happens to something you can read, so you can see her inner thinking. And again, that was our shortcut idea to get you guys to know who she really was. <laughs> Apparently, Amanda thinks she's found a title that was will again get us kicked off of iTunes. <laughs> Literally, I'm looking at my notes and the file name here, and literally all I have is Palmiotti Scratch and Sniff Beaver. Yeah, Dan, Dan didn't want people. We, we, they were going to put like a scent on the beaver so you can scratch the beaver. It smelled like a burnt house because you get. The context here is the scratch and sniff issue of the Harley yeah. Quinn. It, it occurs to me it, it needs some context, but it yes, does. the uh, scratch and sniff issue of Harley Quinn. Back. Uh, Dan Dan then went on to say he didn't want people standing in the middle of their local comic book store scratching Harley's beaver. Yes. So uh, let, let, let me back this up to the beginning. Yeah, Dan, Dan didn't want people. We, we, they were going to put like a scent on the beaver so you can scratch the beaver. It smelled like a burnt house because he got blown up. When they don't they all? Joker put the bomb in her storage shed. Right, so, man, so Dan is like, I don't want people going to the comic store and scratching the beaver in the middle of the comic store. And I was like, I don't understand what you're talking about. I don't get it. I not to be indelicate, um, to, to answer your question, Rob, if, if something smells untoward, uh, there may be a problem. <laughs> wasn't asking. <laughs> you said, don't they all? I, I, need, I have concerns. I need an adult. Yes, you I do. I need an adult. I have concerns for you, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and, and don't worry, my balls aren't really stuck to my left leg. Uh-huh. My right leg. Um, <laughs> so, yes, this is one or two. There were a variety of questions uh, that had to do with DC films, like the people who write the comics have anything to do with the fucking movies. But there was one uh, fun little observation about since you know Harley Quinn was in Suicide Squad and mm -hmm. therefore Palmiotti and Connor uh, got to go to the premiere. Yes. There, there was one a neat little story about that that was uh, fun to pull out. We were so lucky because we went to the premiere last week. 
and we got to meet Margot Robbie. And she said to us, we couldn't believe it, she's like, did I do a good job? Is there any, any pointers you want to give us? And we're like, you did really well. You know, we Come to my you. house and let me show you something. How to be a really good Harley, yes. <laughs> yes, some things to be a really good Harley that are stuck to my right leg. Jesus. <laughs> what do you think he was saying, for God's sake? Uh-uh. I'm staying out of this. <laughs> Uh, all right. And then, yes, we get to the uh, obligatory uh, social justice question. Um, yeah, I, I didn't include the question in this. Uh, he, he wanted to make sure that the diversity and representation that did find its way into the new 52 was going to continue with rebirth. That yes. was basically the question. Yes. And this question went to Dan DiDio. And to again, it's... It could just be he works a room well, but to compare to how he dealt with similar questions from San Diego Batgirl in 2011, he's, yeah. uh, it, it's he's able to answer the question and it at least sounds legitimate mm -hmm. and heartfelt and true, whether it actually is or not. I don't know, but hey, here, here, here's the audio. You can make up your own mind. If we just went back to where we were before, that nobody wins. Nobody wins. We have to make sure that we're moving forward. And the, the great part about the people here is they're making sure that we build these. You know what? You look in the audience. Um, we want our world to reflect this world. With God as my witness, when he said that, I had to bite my tongue to not say, what, Boston? <laughs> Where's Fitzy? Where's Fitzy in your foot? Where's Sully, you motherfucker? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it was a heartfelt uh, answer, <laughs> at it least was. apparently, so uh, I didn't have the heart to. So, yeah, let me back it up a little bit. When you look in the audience, um, we want our world to reflect this world, to be in the real world. We want to see as much diversity in our books as we do in our audience, in, our, in the crowds that come to see our, see our stuff. So, so from our standpoint, we're constantly doing it, but what we're trying to do is trying to do as much more organically. Because if you do it organically and you introduce it through the, the Better Self popular books, there's a better chance for it to take hold when more people see it and for it to grow out from there. Which is a legitimate point of view. It's a, it's a legitimate way to at least answer the question whether yeah, it actually goes in that direction is a whole different question. Right. But uh, I've also got Amanda Connor uh, answering the same question because everybody threw in on it, but uh, mm -hmm. this one kind of struck me. If it seems forced, then you can smell it a mile away. It's, it's something that... You know, you should just be genuine about. You should, you know, um, we're always trying to create new characters that are really, really well-rounded and are just as diverse as the real world. So, and and that's the way to do it. I've, I've yeah, I've commented on the website uh, about books that where it seemed like diversity was shoehorned in to say, look, it's diverse. Yeah, and it's uh, you can kind of smell it. You can feel when, when things aren't organically done, um, is an interesting, and also when, when things are done in a, in a way where people don't feel that the, the representation is accurate and that it, it's coming off as, um, stereotypical, which were some of the criticisms of Suicide Squad, actually, um, despite it being a diverse cast, that some of the depictions were, were not, um, genuine. They were, you know, here's our stereotypical Latin gangbanger in quotes. Here is, here's a, a Native American who doesn't like women and finds them mouthy. Here's, 
Here's a woman who's all slutted up. Here's <laughs> here's a drunken racist Australian. Here's you, a, you can't hit a dead cat without killing one. Actually, it's a Japanese woman who's still subservient to her dead husband. Uh, it, but um, oh, Jesus, I never even thought of katana from that angle. Yeah, that's creepy, man. Yeah, that's wicked creepy. Yeah. Um. However, I, I think it was Dwayne McDuffie that had the quote, um, and if I'm wrong on this, I apologize, that sometimes uh, tokenism is, is better than no representation at all. And yeah, <laughs> that, that, I think that is Dwayne McDuffie. I could be wrong. I forget where I heard it. but it's... And that, that gets trotted out a lot. So while I don't want to defend inaccurate portrayals of, of diversity, I still think that it's better that people try it's absolutely better that people try. It's better than that people try hard and make it feel organic. Yeah. And make it feel like it's just part of the story. You know, it's when you know, one time on the website I got myself in trouble saying, no, this, it feels forced over here. Uh, and I got in real trouble with one website who uh, I won't name no, as a courtesy. It's a, it's a property that's getting picked up as an animated show. Yeah. But, uh, at the same time, it's like, well, no, I'm reading Firestorm with Jason Rush every week, and I don't even, it never even yeah. registers with me. It's, <laughs> no, it's here it feels forced. If it doesn't feel forced, it's better for everybody. Right. So, again, I'm a middle-aged white guy. Why am I spouting off about these things? I'll piss somebody off no matter what I say. I'm sure I am as well, so. <laughs> <laughs> You're a middle-aged white guy? No, pissing off people I demand well. <laughs> an explanation. <laughs> pissing off people as well. Uh, we shouldn't do these shows when we're exhausted. Unfortunately, there's no other alternative these days. All right, well, let's get completely off the subject. We have a, one last piece of audio. And again, there were multiple questions uh, about DC Films properties. Yes. It, it never seems to hammer home to anybody, whether it's Marvel or DC. The people doing the comics are not then hanging up their pens, putting away their brushes, closing up their word processors, and then going off to shout action at a fucking multi-million dollar movie studio. To be fair, some of the the folks asking questions, again, it comes down to being able to read the room and understand about boundaries um, between properties. Yes, that's true. And uh, this is not the first time I've heard a question like this asked, but it was uh, in this particular case, it was somebody asking, you know, yeah, your movies are getting slammed on various review sites. And how do you think you can rehabilitate your company and uh yeah phil jimenez gave uh, actually a surprisingly positive answer normally it's like look we have nothing to do with them mm -hmm. we're the inspiration for them but they do what they do but phil jimenez had an answer that was actually pretty cool and pretty positive about it uh you know answering the the shit show of bad reviews yes I'd actually also like to mention that the one thing I noticed about all those reviews, or many of them certainly, is that people actually want DC to do really well. Um, they might be disappointed in the films, but I'm amazed at actually the amount of goodwill the company has engendered. Like, there are a lot of people who are really rooting for DC and their characters to succeed in many marketplaces. So one, you know, a slew of bad reviews on one movie may or may not affect us, but I think the characters themselves transcend those kinds of reviews. People want to see these characters succeed, and they want to see them in good stories. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And actually, that's a reasonably on-point and perceptive answer, because, yeah, for a lot of the reviews I've seen, it's it's been, yeah, we want more out of Superman versus Batman. We want, well, people are hoping for good movies. And I think the movies that they've been given are better than they've been reviewed. It's, it's 
tricky. Yeah. <laughs> it's how, you know, look, we talked about suicide all last week. And yeah, there's parts of it you can tell were cut all to pieces and put back together to meet some kind of demographic need. But the second half of it was perfectly solid, I thought. Yeah. I, a lot of what I saw on various message boards was I liked this movie, but I wanted to like it more. I wanted more from this movie. Yeah. And it's, it's tricky. Marvel completely by accident i firmly believe it's completely by accident has done almost everything right and the things they've done right have been so right that the things they have not done right have sort of been allowed to we all by consensus kind of ignore it yeah i like the incredible hulk we don't really talk about it all that much no i don't really i haven't liked either of the thor movies but we all seem to be specifically pretending that the lost world kind of didn't happen (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, although I'm looking forward to Ragnarok because it's supposed to be a Thor Hulk buddy movie. Yeah, Thor Hulk <laughs> buddy movie that maybe has some uh, Planet Hulk-esque uh, yeah, elements to it. Yeah. So that's fine, but the problem is, yeah, I'm looking forward to a Thor movie because of the Hulk, which means <laughs> I'm not really looking forward to a Thor movie. Right, <laughs> right. So, yeah, I mean, DC, I think the stuff they've done is generally particularly when it comes to the ultimate cut of Batman versus Superman better than it gets credit for. Yeah, it's that's the thing. It's I would really love for all these to be slam fucking dunks. Mm-hmm. Then the thing is, when we do uh, when we talk about Frank Miller next week, he gets a pointed question about, you know, oh, do you want to uh, see an adaptation? And it goes back and forth. And uh, how do you feel about Batman versus Superman? And nobody seems to want to answer. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, we'll, we'll have some we'll, we'll good talk shit for next that. week. We'll talk about that. <laughs> so that's all the audio I've got. It's I think those those were those were the prime clips from what I remember. Yeah, and, and it's weird. I kind of went into it today, going, you know, oh, there wasn't much news there, but there was a lot of interesting stuff. And that's the cool thing about comic book conventions. It's there's always something interesting. You right. learn stuff about the creators. Yeah, you know, even if there's you know, ooh, here's the new news flash. Yeah, and let's face it, as podcast people, I, I want the news flash, but. There's always cool stuff to listen to. Yeah. Now, and the, unfortunately, a third of every panel is questions, and the questions are the worst part of every goddamn panel for a variety of reasons. And sometimes, though, there, sometimes though, the questions are good. I mean, the, the young man who asked the heartfelt question about how do how do I become a, a better artist? You know, when you ask a question that excites a creator. That yes. is a great exchange to see, you know, on a panel level or even at, at, at the table level when you asked Frank Avila to, to do Rocketeer. Um, when last year you asked Simon Bisley to do Judge Dredd, when it's something that they're excited about. Yeah. That is it, an interaction that's just gold to watch. Yeah. And it's a weird line to, to walk because uh, look, if you're going up to a creator's table, or to an autograph table, or to a microphone at a panel, you're doing that for your own reasons. That's for you. Yeah. If you make it too much about you, particularly in the public forum, it's really uncomfortable for everybody else. Yeah. If you can walk that line and find a way to, to make, yes, it's about you, that you know, your personal reasons are your personal reasons for asking the question, but if you can make it broad, then it's... It, it just opens the room up for everybody. And I don't know how to 
I don't know how to train people to do it because I don't know how to do it myself. Like I said, when I talked to Stan Sakai, I felt like half an asshole. It's like, oh, my buddy's a huge fan. I'm a fan too, but I've only made it this far through your Well, it's not made it through your work. It's not a fucking chore. It's a... <laughs> But I feel like a dick stepping all over myself. Welcome to the majority of my my feelings about how my interactions with people at tables go. Yeah, <laughs> but it's you know at least I try to be cognizant of it, and I think you and I try to. But it's also part of the reason we are is we've been to enough conventions, we've seen the difference. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, yes, if it's a social justice question, it's important to be asked. It's just, and I don't know how to tell somebody how do you make it not about you. I don't know. I don't know the answer. Well, I think to also it. with those, it's 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 challenging to not make it about you because the people asking the questions have a personal stake in it. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And frankly, I would rather hear a social justice question than, and we, you and I have both seen a million of these. Hi, my name is X, and I'm going to tell you a two-minute story about how your work stopped me from shooting people from a bus or blowing up Congress. Uh, and by the way, are, how are you so awesome? Yeah. Yeah. But those questions are always going to be there. And that's why some fans have the reputation that they do. They but do. But we're all in fandom together. That's true. <laughs> May God help every single <laughs> one of us. And Neil Adams will continue to monetize that. <laughs> that's the important takeaway from this. <laughs> that's right. It's about your money. <laughs> Boston Comic Con. <laughs> Boston Comic Con. Uh, next week's show, yes, we will have the Frank Miller audio. Uh, <laughs> I've never heard him speak before, despite ten years of conventions. Yeah. So uh, this should be fun. So yeah, make sure you tune in next week. Otherwise, we got anything else, or should we wrap it up? I think we should wrap it up. Okay. So yes, don't know where you found this particular half fatigue hysteria <laughs> episode, but you can always find us at our home website, crisisoninfinitemidlives.com. We are on Facebook. Uh, our Facebook page is facebook.com slash crisis on infinite midlives. And we've put up a few pictures from Boston Comic Con there already. We'll put a few up next in the coming day or so. Mm -hmm. We are on Twitter. Twitter handle is at infinite midlife. We are on Tumblr. Yes. Uh, crisis on infinite midlives dot com. You can find us on iTunes. And if that is how you generally get your podcasts, do us a favor. Number one, subscribe there. Uh, number two, give us a rating, give us a review. It helps new people find the show. So at least for purposes of revenge, you can do that to people. <laughs> oh, here it comes. Yeah. Uh, we are on TuneIn Radio. We're on Stitcher. We are on Google Play. We are proud members of the Comics Podcast Network. And you can always email us, crisisoninfinitemidlives at gmail.com. Hey, Rob and Amanda, you're pretty awesome. How'd you get to be so awesome? We love those emails, actually, so you uh, could send us those. It would be liquor. Liquor did this to us. <laughs> Hard liquor. Generally in the whiskey family, occasionally gin when I'm feeling low. <laughs> I've never seen you drink gin. That's because I am awesome and I always feel good about me. <laughs> and on that lie, this has been episode 124 of the Crisis on Infinite Midlife show. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. Thank you for listening and derp. I'm just going to block all our emails for like the next week. Okay. <laughs> We've Gotta start doing the show more rested. <laughs> <laughs>